0: Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South Podcast. He is Chris Marlar. I am Connor O'Gara. Marlar, a very happy Thanksgiving to you, Ali, Queso, Pastor Patty Sue. Oh shut up, Connor.
1: It is rivalry week. We're not gonna say anything. I'm kidding. Happy Thanksgiving to you as well.
0: Thank you, thank you. I wanted to start before we get into a ton of stuff. If you've looked at the length of this podcast episode, I don't know the official length yet, but I'm just assuming this is over two hours. And I'm glad I, you know, because listen, Uncle
1: Chris just thought that you hated your family as much as I, I hate most of mine. So you just don't want to be around them. Listen to the podcast. Go for a walk. Go crunch some leaves under your feet. Go for a little, uh, little Thursday stroll.
0: We wanted to, you know, because this is Thanksgiving, we wanted to give you an extra helping of some SEC football talk, and I promise this is really, really good stuff. We had an awesome conversation the other day with our good pal Gene Chiswick. Yeah. Just one of the – I seriously think, and I know we say this a lot, I seriously think this is my favorite interview that we've ever done, and it speaks to just how great Chizik is, and I'm glad that people are going to get to hear what we like about Chiswick so much yeah. because he gave us so much time, and it was, it was just fantastic being able to have him on. He is one of the things that I am thankful for. Let's, before we get into some other stuff, let's start with that off the top, because that's what everybody does with Thanksgiving. Yeah. Let's list the things that we're thankful for. Do you want to get us started, or do you want me to start talking about Hawaiian roles?
1: Well, I don't want to start crying yet, but yeah, I'll I tell you what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for this job. I'm thankful for how amazing, I thought last year was like, that we talked about it as the year of Marlar. this year's gotten even better, we got the house, this podcast is, is blowing up.
0: And you say that with Bama, you know, kind of on the outside looking in right now. So that Don't says you a lot. Shut your mouth
1: about that part. <laughs> <laughs> um, so but I have everything. God dang it, Connor! Everything else is going great. Uh, no, I'm thankful for my mom. I'm thankful for you know uh, my stepdad and, and family. And my sister just got into uh, PhD or I'm sorry, PhD school. What's that called?
0: <laughs> PhD school. That's it. You nailed it.
1: <laughs> and, uh, at Georgia State, so she might be moving to Atlanta, uh, which is really cool. She's a genius. She's twenty she just turned twenty one. She's already getting her PhD, which is fun. At PhD uh, school. Yeah, PhD school. It took me till twenty four to graduate undergrad. But anyway, um, thankful for that. Definitely thankful for Allie and Queso. Um, my help. And then uh, you know, like I said, the pod the, the pod moderator group, the pod mod squad. Yep. Um, all you guys. All you guys especially. Um, Nick Sabin. Probably should have been more towards the front over the top of the list. Yeah. Um, that's that's what I have so far.
0: I've got I've got a few things: family, health, job, like all those things. Obviously, like very very thankful for that. Of course, thankful that I do have still 23 Hawaiian rolls left. I think 12 of those roughly are going to be used for Hawaiian roll stuffing. I yeah. have like I have like my my fun bag of Hawaiian rolls and then like my workman bag of Hawaiian rolls that my wife is making this this new stuffing that I'm incredibly pumped for. Um, using strictly Hawaiian rolls, so that's going to be just amazing stuffing, yeah. dressing, whatever you want to call it. It's, yeah. it's being used. Hawaiian rolls are going to be the at the forefront of that. Um, I've got a fresh, unopened bottle of Maker's that I just got that from up. from being a, from being a groomsman uh, at My my buddy's oh, yeah. wedding last weekend. So how'd you bring that home? That. Um, we checked a bag.
1: Oh, a dangerous move. All right. Yeah. yeah
0: well, you check a bag. We had we, we did one bag for the two of us. We yeah. do that sometimes when we go on road trips, and you know if we're well, just, I'm, I'm just kind of like working out of breaking. a suitcase.
1: Like most of my clothes, yeah. and and just overall being smells like bourbon. But this would be. That'd be tough for you if that happened. Yeah.
0: Eh, it'd be something I'd adjust to willingly. There you go. Willingly. Okay. Um, I, you know, I'm very thankful that I live in a great place with great clouds, uh, as you know. <laughs> Big cloud guy. Need to have those great clouds coming in off the ocean. Thank you very much to the Atlantic for that. Um, I'm very thankful that we get the Egg Bowl. We get the Egg Bowl on Thursday night. And if you're listening to this after Thursday night, be thankful that we already had the Egg Bowl and you got to watch it. I'm sure it was lit. I'm sure that both teams totally didn't get into fights and it was just nonstop wholesome fun. I'm sure that's what happened. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, as always. Uh, Thankful for, like I said, our Facebook group. You guys do such an amazing job. Very thankful for our moderators to do so so much work yeah. for this group and really put in a lot of effort. I'm thankful for you, my podcast partner. See, I didn't we throw that to... one
1: in there. I was going to, and then I you know just, you brought up the Bama thing, and then I, yep. I just I threw yeah threw you to the side like a, like a bag of leaves.
0: Takes two to tango or something <laughs> like that. Shout out Billy Madison. <laughs> Um, I'm very thankful also for people this year that we have gotten to meet, people like Mickey Shermany, yeah. Nick Halby, Sean Larkin, Candler Cook, these guys yeah. who have just gone out of their way to show us good times. And I am just so, so grateful that we have had the experience that we've had with those people to make us confident that we can do this live event whoop, whoop. in Atlanta. Marlar, I am so excited for this. This is just Dude, over a week away.
1: Yeah. So if, if you haven't got your ticket yet, make sure you go to the Facebook group, uh, the STS podcast Facebook group, and join that because we have a, a link to the tickets there, and we'll we'll start promoting it um, on other you know uh, avenues as well and platforms. Real as quick,
0: well. real quick, do it right now. Like just yeah. pause the podcast right now. For real, go man. get your tickets. Seriously, like you're gonna you're gonna it's say all right, I'll do it. a total. week. Yeah, like, all right, I'm going to do it in a week. No, 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 pause the podcast right now. You're sitting there. You're you're dealing with your Thanksgiving hangover, whatever it is. Just go pause it. Go buy your tickets. It's like two clicks. It's going to be the easiest thing in the world. You'll be glad that you did it now and not have to be like, oh, I still got to do that a week from now. Just do it now.
1: Yeah. It's it's going to be the Hall of Fame, the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta. The night before the event, it's gonna be a blast, man! It's gonna be a blast. We got we got some giveaways, we got some stuff besides just stickers, which I'm excited about. Oh, um, we got we got a lot of stuff coming your way. So make sure you guys uh, get the tickets and get them now, like Connor said. And then, uh, and yeah, go ahead. What else? What else you think before?
0: Seriously, yeah, I'm I'm thankful for just everything that we have going in our lives. Um, the the fact that I have. Um, just this, this job that allows me to talk about rivalry week for a couple hours. And we get to discuss things like clouds and Hawaiian roles. I mean, life is, life is good. You
1: do the clouds, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Also thankful for our sponsors, our sponsor, Sweet Hop, quickly becoming one of our favorite sponsors. Got to tell you about our friends there. The number one ranked LSU Tigers are set to take on the number four ranked Georgia Bulldogs. I guess LSU is number two now. We're going to get to that. Don't worry. We're going to get to that. That's not part of the ad read. This is set up to be the game of the year in college football. This is a perfect opportunity to rally your college crew or impress potential clients with an unforgettable experience in a luxury VIP suite at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Finding tickets for this marquee event can seem almost impossible, but not at SweetHop. Our friends at SweetHop can help set your group up with the ultimate VIP experience in a VIP suite at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Suites comfortably seat, seat groups from 18 to 30 people, whether you're entertaining clients or bringing your college crew back together to see history in the making and create memories that will last a lifetime, all while well enjoying amenities like VIP parking, extra wide seats, big screen TVs, access to pre- premium catering, food and beverage, and no long lines for the, be- for the restrooms. Bottom line, the sweet life is the way to go for the 2019 SEC championship game and Sweet Hop will get you there. But did you know that Sweet Hop can hook you up with suites and seats in shared suites at other events as well? From concerts and pro sports to Supercross and family events, Sweet Hop can upgrade your event experience all across North America. No hidden fees, and our outstanding personalized customer service will convince you that Sweet Hopping is the way to go for all your events. Saturday Down South listeners can take 500 American U.S. dollars off any SEC championship purchase by using that promo code SDS. Just head to SweetHop.com. That's S-U-I-T-E-H-O-P.com. And use the code SDS for $500 off any SEC championship suite booking. Marley, one of the teams that is going to be at that SEC championship, LSU, had an interesting little Tuesday night. Ohio State, as we kind of talked about briefly, didn't go into crazy depth, but we did bring this up the other day. Ohio State jumps LSU, following the win against Penn State, and needless to say, the internet was a buzzing. What was your it's, reaction
1: to that? Well, because it just it, and I'm I'm gonna get into this this conversation. Uh, first off, by saying I don't like Ohio State and I don't like the Big Ten for the most part. And I, I I respect Ohio State. I think they're a great team, and you and I kind of got into this on on Sunday. In, in terms of you know Ohio State struggled, and they've set this bar for themselves, and blah blah. blah. But but for me. There is no more argument about losing bias because bias. Oh, was, that's here's, gone. That's way here's, gone. Yeah. Yes. Here, here's, what the, here's what the committee is saying at this point. That if you're LSU and you, and you win by 30, you still have room, you, you still need to impress us. And what it also says to me is, and, and I brought this up earlier in the year, and I said, I said when the first rankings came out, I didn't think it was a, a big deal. Or a lot of people didn't think it was a big deal. And I said, where, where has it become advantageous to you to go on the road and schedule these non-conference games early on. And if you're going to go schedule Texas, and, and it's not our fault that Texas is—and I say "our" as the SEC—it's not our fault that the S, that, that Texas is a six and five team. They play them on the road. It's a top ten, top ten matchup. They go play. It, it's also it's Texas. It's Texas. It's it, like there's no excuse for this program to be such gutter trash at this point, and it still is. And it's so frustrating. And I'm all fired up already. It's so frustrating <laughs> because I made the comment earlier in the year. I said, you know. What this what this does for programs, in my opinion, is you, you talk about you knock Bama's non-conference schedule all the time and you say, you know, like, well, they didn't play anybody, and you gotta go out and schedule these teams, and you see it, it's just become this like arms race of, of like out of conference scheduling. Georgia's been doing it, Bama, uh, Florida, all these different teams, the SEC especially. Why on earth am I going to schedule Texas if it's not gonna if it's not gonna give me any kind of, of, of advantage at the end of the season? Ohio State plays a nine game conference schedule, and that's impressive, and blah, blah, blah. They they scheduled Florida Atlantic, Cincinnati, and Miami, Ohio, and that has propped up their entire strength of schedule until this game against Penn State. And it's so frustrating to look at because it's like, all right, you look at their their out of comfort schedule, those three teams are 22 and 8, and that is a that speaks volumes about where they're placed. And and the committee has put so much emphasis on, well, you mean, you know, they they've won these power five games by this amount, and I know you've brought it up too, and they've this they have the, the number one scoring offense, the number one scoring defense in the country, blah, blah, blah. Right. Why in the hell? Am I scheduling Texas ever again? If I'm an SEC school, if this is what it's gonna, if this is like the the payoff. And by the way, what's even more frustrating about that is the committee itself has has gone out of its way to say, listen, if you play Texas, like like we're giving credit to the the Auburn win and the Florida win for LSU when those first rankings came out before the before they played Bama, they said you know we we definitely looked and saw what they did against Auburn and Florida. They said them by name. They didn't say Texas. So you kind of give like disrespect. Then you haven't given any kind of respect. To Baylor, this entire time you've had the rankings. They were 13th after after losing to Oklahoma by three. Then they have a home win, a home win against a six and five Texas, and you jump them five spots. Make up your in minds, guys.
0: And haven't given respect to Baylor in in large part because of the non conference being so bad, so and bad. I that's, so. I think that there are, I, I am I am a bit frustrated with that, and I said this from the jump when Ohio State was ranked ahead of LSU, was that this sort of like, this belief that killing Cincinnati at home should be weighed more heavily than like the Texas road win, to me just doesn't always sit right, and that's, I, I always try and look at current top 25, and I do, I really, sure. really do. But there are certain cases in which I kind of question the logic behind all of that, because Like like we've said before, I think the selection committee actually weighs non-conference a lot. And I think that they tend to look at it in a big way. But clearly this year the philosophy has sort of changed as it relates to power five teams. I can see I can see frustrations on both sides for this. And I can see why the selection committee says, you know what? We've seen the, re- the resumes look closer now, now that Ohio State got this additional win against the top 10 team. They're looking at the fact that they, they both have three wins against the current top 25. They both have, well, LSU has four wins against Power 5 teams with a winning record. Ohio State has three. And then the, the average margin of victory, Ohio State a, against Power 5 teams, that is Ohio State at 36.4, LSU at that's, 17.1. That's the
1: worst and most skewed one of all of them. And we've talked about it before, but that's the most skewed number of, of all of them.
0: So I think that there are a lot of there are a lot of takes that came out of this. One of which being, well, I, I think right now if you're looking at this and trying to f- figure out, all right, how does this project moving forward? Ohio State, if it wins out, is going to have the one seed. LSU is going to be in there as the two seed, just because Ohio State is going on the road to Michigan this weekend, as we know, would face another ranked opponent, the winner of the Minnesota-Wisconsin game as well. That's likely going to be two top 15 teams in consecutive weeks, both of which would be away from home. You would think that LSU, even though it would have potentially a win against Georgia, that is still going to be difficult if if this is how the selection committee is looking at this right now. Oh,
1: yeah, they're not going to get the number one spot.
0: Yeah, so... There were some conspiracy theories, and as you know, yeah. I, I like me a conspiracy theory. I, I love entertaining it. I think it's just it, it's really interesting to look at. The one that I've seen thrown out there already, many are saying that this is so that LSU and Bama in a semifinal is avoided, and that this Certainly is just statement. opening up the door to Bama. I love conspiracy theories. I don't love that take. I don't no, love that I take know. for a variety of reasons.
1: And, and I tell you what—the more the, the reason why more than anything is—and you guys, people want to bitch nonstop about how like Bama is just getting the bit of the doubt because the eye test. The, first off, they're not, and second off, if there's ever evidence of the eye test, it's right now. And and, and I'll tell you what—I I, I said this—I said this off air, and I'll say it on air, and I, and I don't care how it sounds. And I—I I don't know how Rob Mullins ever wins an argument with a significant, a significant other. I really don't. I—I I, I honestly, and I, I don't care—that sounds crass or inappropriate, or whatever. I, Like, I don't understand how Rob Mullins could ever win an argument with a significant other because the way he presents arguments is so flawed and bad. And he came out last night and he said, they said, why was Ohio State at LSU? The first thing out of his mouth, the very first thing out of his mouth besides a stutter and an uh is, well, you know, Ohio State beating Penn State, that's their third win against a top 19 team. In the 33 effing years I have been spending watching college football, never once have I heard anyone say the phrase top 19 in my life. It's a key metric and especially, that yeah, is a big especially, especially, especially when you put the side by side and they, they they say, here's Ohio State on the left, here's here's uh, LSU on the right. And every single metric and every single statistic they use, LSU is better than Ohio State on their resume, except for margin of victory. And and if if that's what it's based off of, there's no better example of yep the eye test is being used if it's margin of victory because because here's the deal, Bam, LSU went on the road to Alabama. Okay, it's they the beat, best win of anybody in college it's the football right hands now, hands down. Yeah. And you're gonna tell me that an 11 point win in a game you were favored by 20 in against a backup quarterback somehow vaults you to number one? And and the precedence the sets is so is so bad because there there's. If, if they would have moved them up this week, if they would have moved them up this week when they played a ranked team against Michigan, then it makes sense. But you do it beforehand, and he says, "Well, it's just they look like the more complete team." Rob Mullins, get the blank out of here, dude. Like they, they're more complete team. You haven't used that criteria all year. LSU wins; they put up fifty-six points, and you're going to tell me all of a sudden, well, they don't look like a complete team because what they struggled for a quarter and a half. What when? At what point do we stop getting so critical of certain teams? And not holding the same same critiques accountable for other teams. Because, again, I brought this up yesterday. It, it is amazing to me how much weight and impact five-loss teams have had on these rankings. Texas is a five-loss team. Baylor jumps up five spots. Utah, their best win against a five-loss Arizona State team. Oregon loses that Arizona State team. They drop eight spots. You know you know what I didn't even realize until afterwards? I was so fired up about about, this, uh, about Ohio State jumping them. You know? Do you know who who Oregon's ranked ahead of?
0: Oregon's ranked ahead of Auburn right now yep. because they have less losses. That's just how the don't, just, But like, just
1: don't way. tell me that it's about who's a more complete team and these games matter. Don't tell me that anymore because these two teams, again, they scheduled the out of conference games at the start of the year. Why are they playing the games? LSU still has something to prove to us. Get the blank out of here, man.
0: I think that there are... Uh, you, you sort of just made my point for me about why the um, the conspiracy theory... I take it and, back then. <laughs> why? The conspiracy, <laughs> the conspiracy theory to get Bama into the playoff doesn't really hold up as much because what if Bama loses? Then do you just yeah. move LSU back to number one oh. because the matchup you think you, you, you're setting that up like... It's, the selection committee doesn't sit here and project matchups and it doesn't have to this far in advance. If it was going to make a move like that, it would make it at the last moment. It would make it, you know, right after conference championship yeah. weekend to say this is the matchup that we can set up. To me, that doesn't that that doesn't really justify it as much. I think they moved Ohio State up because of the fact that they're number one in the country yeah. in both scoring offense and scoring defense. They looked at the resume, compared to LSU, said this is close enough to where we can justify this, and that's why they did that. Whether oh. that's right or wrong, I don't I don't necessarily yeah. know that. But what I think what I think is interesting thing. And I think that they've done maybe a better job with this than they have in years past because, you know, we haven't seen this kind of back and forth with 1 and 2 and how much it'll matter in the end, I don't know. It it matters. It it, it matters for for the, the semifinal matchup and what you're potentially setting up. Absolutely. But I actually kind of like that the selection committee is sitting here really critiquing this number one and number two. Not just like automatically like, all right, if you if you win this weekend and you're number one or you're number two, you just stay in the same slot. You just stay in the same same slot as long as you keep winning. Don't worry about it. And they're actually like critically breaking this down and saying we need to really make sure that we're, we're doing whatever we can. Whether yeah. you agree with it or not at least appreciate the fact that you feel like your team is being given a very, very close look because that is what they have done by, I by having this back and forth.
1: I don't feel that way at all. I, I feel like I feel like it is it is in the same way that we become prisoners of the moment or each weekend. I think that's exactly what's happening with the committee, and that worries me because if you look at the big picture of things and you say, okay, hold on, because I'll tell you what, if there's a conspiracy theory and they're trying to set something up, I'll tell you what they're setting up, and that's moving LSU to Atlanta playing Clemson, and having a regional matchup versus Utah, and Ohio State is a national brand going to the Gary festival.
0: Gary Stokin, our guys looking at his lips right oh, now. Man. He's like, let's go.
1: But, like, at the same time, like so I could see them setting that up, but at the same time, the big picture part of it, I don't know if they have it. Because cause what you're saying is, essentially, with LSU or for, with Ohio State being ranked number one, if they go one and one, they're in. And, and deservingly so. If they go one and one, they're in. With the schedule they have coming up, they have Michigan, they'll have a ranked, a top ten uh, Wisconsin or Minnesota team, right? What are you smiling mm-hmm. about? What's I'm up? smiling
0: because I just realized that if the playoffs started today, you know what we'd have? What? Justin Fields against Georgia. Oh, Here. yeah, that, that won't happen. Here for that. Oh, that, Here yeah. for that.
1: I don't see But, like, where, where it does bother me is this, and, and for LSU especially, and, again, you talk about going to schedule these out-of-conference games. There's no GD way Ohio State scheduled Florida Atlantic and Cincinnati and Miami of Ohio, especially Miami of Ohio and Cincinnati, they've always, in the same way that Michigan used to always play, like we're going to play Eastern Michigan or Central Michigan or whatever to open the open the, the year. There's no way that they were saying, like, you know what, let's play Cincinnati. I bet they're going to be a tough 10-win team. There's no way Ohio State's doing that. LSU goes and gets a marquee national matchup on the road in Texas. And then that just, that just falls by the wayside. And why it's a big deal to me, and, and I don't care how this sounds, I don't want Clemson round one. If I, if I I want my team to win a national championship, I tell you the easiest way is is avoiding any of those teams one through three, okay? Like I don't want Clemson round one, and I don't feel like LSU deserves to play Clemson round one, considering the fact that like they they've put to get they did everything they were supposed to do with their resume. I agree. I agree. It's just trash, man.
0: The interesting thing and the last thing that I want to kind of hit on as it relates to the, to the non conference scheduling, all this stuff that we're we're talking about here with Ohio State is Bama right now I feel like is you know got, got, was under the belief that a nine game uh, nine power five um, opponents with one being a non-conference play was going to be enough for their resume yeah and I think I think it's gonna hurt Alabama in the long run if Alabama had taken the Clemson style approach with two power five non-conference opponents if they were playing like let's say Notre Dame instead of Western Carolina that weekend how much different we'd be talking about Bama down the what? stretch here okay. I realize that's I, I realize no, no, no. School, here's what I wanna say about that. I know, I know. I'm saying I'm saying Ohio State when the TCU home and home fell apart and they scheduled a neutral site matchup, they said, you know what we're good. We're fine. This will take care of itself. We don't have to schedule another Power 5. I, th- I think it's a scramble. trash argument.
1: I think it's a trash argument. And the reason well, well why that's is what I'm saying. Because that's they what get I'm to saying. play Michigan and they get to play Penn State. It's already backloaded into the schedule. And the same with Clemson. They, play, they already play one Power 5 team with South Carolina every year. With Ohio State, they get the nine-game conference schedule. Their Power 5 schedule is worse than their out-of-conference schedule.
0: That's my it's point. It's worse. That's my point, is that... Ohio State is is finding a way to benefit from this, and Bama could potentially find a way to be hurt from this. Yeah. So it's inconsistency talking about the non-conference scheduling. That's like Maryland
1: right and now. Rutgers again. And like I get they close with Penn State and, and and Michigan, but there is something to be said for playing one team with a winning record for two straight months out of the year. While that's happening, you're vaulting this team to being one of the best teams in recent memory. That, that's that's the issue. It's not the fact. I don't, it's not that I don't think Ohio State's a great team. They're a great team, and I do think they're a complete team. My issue is this whole time that we talk about, like, well, maybe Bama's not that good because they're playing this really weak schedule. And and pe- by the way, again, we do that all the time. It's the only team I've ever seen get like lose credit for playing Southern Cal and Florida State in the same effing back to back seasons. Okay, like one of those teams started unranked and then finished third. The other started third and finished unranked. In either way, we didn't give credit for that for that team scheduling those games. The issue with Ohio State is while we've, during this time where we have vaulted them into being one of the best teams in the country and the best teams in recent memory, and they have the, the the margin of victory, best power five margin of victory since 1930, whatever it is, they did it at the weakest part of their schedule and no one brought it up. Besides me. Sure. No one's talking about the injuries Except either. Nobody's <laughs> talking
0: about the injuries either. I love it. Let's, if it's possible, let's get you even more riled up. Let's talk some Iron <laughs> Bowl stuff. Uh, so, this this first thing that I want to say about this is going to get you riled up, and I know it will. The Auburn disrespect this week is pretty real. Oh! It's pretty real. It's pretty real, and and I'm guilty of this. I, I'm 100% guilty of this, because the big picture stuff with Auburn, we're not talking about as much. We're talking about what Bama needs to do in winning this game in style points, and that leads to the disrespect argument for a game in which Bama is only a 3.5-point favorite. So I think that, disrespect. No, I think... I think it comes off as disrespectful, and it's an easy thing for Gus to spin in his locker room, saying, "Look, oh, look, yeah. guys, they're talking about how much they're going to beat you by. They're not going to talk. They're not talking about whether they're going to beat you. They're talking about how much they're going to beat you by. That's the the whole disrespecting that he can easily play up in his locker room. Don't also forget what this game could potentially mean for somebody like Kevin Steele, somebody like Kevin Steele who. I I think he's going to stay around with that coaching staff because I don't think that coaching staff is going anywhere. You listen to the comments that Alan Green has made about Gus Malzahn as recently as five days ago. You know, with the comments that he made in the beginning of the month, he likes the fact that they've been super competitive against all these really quality teams. And that's why I think Gus Malzahn is ultimately going to keep his job win or lose. But... What this game could potentially mean for somebody like Kevin Steele who, you know, I think he got the credit that he deserved a couple years ago, but it was still like, oh, Gus is doing it with Jared Stidham and, you know, carry on Johnson in this offense. I think this game means a lot for for somebody like Kevin Steele and what his defense has been able to do this year and the guys that he has on that defensive line that we talk about so much, Marlon Davidson and Derek Brown. There's no way I think that that Gus Malzahn's future should be decided by this game, and anybody hoping that it is and has like this little this little thought in the back of their minds saying like, oh, you know, like I, if I'm an Auburn fan, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if Auburn lost this game. If the Met Gus Malzahn's getting fired because of nobody's it. thinking that, that of shouldn't happen. Thing. No, yeah. yeah, that shouldn't happen in my opinion. I just wanted to present the Auburn angle before you. Oh, before shut we, up! Go into I this.
1: just you know what? I, I'm having a hard time not to say. What I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. But I, I, I will say that Auburn is not being disrespected in this game at all. Alabama is being disrespected in this game. They're a three-point favorite. They're the, fifth, the, the number five-ranked team in the country. Auburn is being disrespected? In what way? All we've done is talk about how Auburn is so great and how this is – I've said constantly this is a dangerous game for Bama. Bama has half their defense missing. No one – again – that's not We're being brought up. We're talking Lewis, about it. Who is you, about about you said Auburn's being disrespected. In what possible way? There are th- this, this line has come down two touchdowns, it, and it's going to be played. No one's talking about how much Bama's going to win by. They're talking about how much they need to win by. No one said Bama's going to go into Auburn and beat them. I haven't heard a single pundit say Bama's going to go into Auburn. They're going to win. It just matters on how much they're going to win by. Not a single person has said how? that.
0: How many pundits have you say have you heard say that Auburn is going to win this game?
1: Me, Cole Kubrick, uh Peter Burns, almost all of them, Connor, almost all of them. They so have? I think yes, absolutely. We Cole talked about it last week. I have to tell you what. I tell you what. If if you think Auburn's being disrespected, I will say flat out, unequivocally, this is this is you that is doing the disrespecting because there's nobody, there's nobody so that's, that's talking about Auburn in like, oh man, Bama's going to go in and blow up. BS, man. BS. There's no, there's, I tell you what, if anyone's going to be disrespected, it's Bo Nix, and he should be.
0: Should Bo Nix be getting respected? this No, morning?
1: absolutely not. He is, he looks like the guy, the, the best thing I saw on the internet is the Dr. Pepper challenge thing. Somebody said, I'm going to tell my kids this is Gosh. Bo Nix because it's so bad. I mean, Steve uh,
0: Sarkisian is getting disrespected. Thank How about
1: you. That? That, that's a All much right. better, that's a much better Steve's- argument.
0: Steve Sarkisian left off the 15 finalists for the Broyles Award, which, to, in my opinion, oh, boy, I about this. this year. I, that, that that to me is an absolute joke. I know you got fired up about Grant Delpit being named a Thorpe Award finalist, which That's he absolutely course. should not be. No yeah. way should he be. But I think that Steve Sarkisian and Kevin Steele, this chess match that I I am looking forward to so much because yeah, we expect Steve Sarkisian to have a, a a very similar offense to what they ran with Tua because if Mac Jones can make these throws to these receivers in space he's been accurate then why would you overhaul the offense you don't have to it's not like Tua was you know running wild like his rushing numbers were were way down this year because they wanted to 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 try and protect him as much as possible you don't need him running Mac Jones isn't going to be necessarily a guy who's going to be scrambling necessarily for a bunch of yards Two is escapability, obviously a factor. He does that so so well, and the escapability in the pocket to be able to get throws off. Can Mac Jones do something like that against Kevin Steele's defense? Are there going to be the the so-called coverage sacks where you're having three rushers for Auburn, four rushers that are getting home, and they're able to get to him? You're laughing. That's usually because there's not a single
1: person that has looked into this game and been like, "Bama's going to win." Obviously, they have Mac Jones. They have they have six starters out in the front seven. All this stuff, and I think, honestly, that, that number goes down because I think Raekwon might be back. But there's not anybody that's been like, man, I bet can you I, okay, Bama goes I, into Auburn handles Auburn.
0: Can I say this, then? Maybe maybe that that's fair. That hasn't been said as much. But how many people then last night Not as night, much, talking, Connor!
2: Not at all! No, let, me,
0: let me finish. Let me finish. How many people are still saying, Bama's going to the playoff, Bama's going to the playoff? I've seen, that. I've seen that a lot, and that's a result yeah. of them winning this game. And we've talked about it a lot of looking the part in this game. While they haven't necessarily come out and said, oh, they're going to dominate Auburn, I tend to think that that has to be a prerequisite for Bama making the playoff, is doing something that nobody oh, has yeah. done to Auburn this year, which is dominate them. So by putting Bama into the playoff, it's essentially like saying that. You that's what all, that's all I'm trying to you
1: say. You know what it is? It's hedging. And I, and I know we joke around Ooh. about that a lot, but Ooh, I'll I will let's talk hedging. Out, I'll call out everyone right now for for this because and I'll just say Heather Dinich, if you're saying that that Bama is getting in because of going eleven and one, you're hedging. Everyone that's do, like like anybody on ESPN, anybody that's an LSU guy on ESPN, fine you're hedging. If you, fine bomb, you're hedging. Well, actually no, fine was fine. But anybody that's been this whole anti Bama thing this entire year, and you're saying they're going to get in, you're either saying it out of spite because you're mad, or you're saying it because you you're saying. Yeah, they're going to get in, so you can already build your argument about why it's not fair. There's not a single person outside of Tuscaloosa that hopes Alabama wins this weekend, and that's fine, because I think they're used to it every single week. They have a target on their back, but let's not sit here and pretend that anybody is sitting here saying, like, Bama's going to go in, they're going to handle their business, they're going to win by this amount, because I think everyone is waiting for two things. They're waiting for Bama to lose, so they can say, I told you so, That's fair, and and not bring up the injuries, or they are waiting for Bama to win so they can still say, Well, here's the, Bama won, but they didn't win by enough. Bama right. Bama won, but th- you don't impress me. Make me a bicycle clown. Because because again, in <laughs> the Steve Sarkeesian thing, I'm really glad you brought that up, Connor, because there this is this speaks so and I don't I don't care if you guys think this is me being a homework there's stuff I said on Sunday that was just pure homer stuff. I was I was on I was on one because Oregon went off I don't. I truly, truly, truly believe everything I'm saying right now. This is not me being a homer. I'm trying to be as objective as possible. There, the Steve Sarkeesian thing. There may be no single better argument about the Bama fatigue than Steve Sarkeesian being left off a 15-person list. Think yep. about, like, again, if this was any other school, if this was any other school, this would be the story of the year. We talk about it with Ohio State, with Cardell Jones, and all that crap from 2014. What an incredible story, man. Such, such a talented team, but you have a third-string quarterback, you have a backup quarterback, they win the national championship. Any other school, this would be a huge story, a feel-good story. And in Alabama, it has become... We're over it. We're ready for it to end. They have a backup. They're not as good. They don't deserve to be in. Here's and here's every single reason why. There's not a case being made for Alabama.
0: There's not a there's not this like. God, guarantee. my audio levels
1: are a lot. <laughs> <laughs> they
0: were high. They were really high. on That I can tell. <laughs> One more thing on Sarkeesian, because and I've been guilty of overlooking this throughout the year. And there are people who are listening. You've been to this good right about now, it, I saying, think. I, well, I think there are people listening to this right now who are going to say, anybody can succeed with those group of receivers, and with Tua quarterback, it's so easy. All you got to do is RPOs, land stuff. That stuff happens because of spacing. We've I've said that word so much this year, and the spacing that we see in LSU's offense and the spacing that we see in George's offense is night and day. And it's not just as simple as having very talented receivers. It's finding ways to spread the ball out make sure that a defense is always on its heels and Steve Sarkeesian has done a fantastic job of that. We saw in 2017, Brian Dable comes in God, to that offense, mad. and it looks it looked bad. It just it was not a fit for Jalen Hurts. I'm not saying Jalen Hurts had the receiver, you know, Don't the apologize. receiver talent. You've
1: been you've been spot on about this.
0: But I think that Steve Sarkeesian is not getting the credit. And if he and if he goes in there with Mac Jones in this game, and Bama still looks like it has all year. Which, by the way, Bama's offense has not been stopped yet all year. Eh, Tennessee slowed it down. Touch. Don't start with me. But <laughs> I just wanted to get you fired up. But if he does that, let's put some respect on Steve Sarkisian's name. And I, and I and tell you,
1: yeah, yeah. Go ahead. My bad. My bad.
0: No, that was all I was gonna say. And I mean, just know that this isn't as easy as it looks, and no. he is doing a fantastic job. And
1: I tell you what, I've said this before in the podcast. I remember saying it last year, and I forgot the exact specific reason, but. I've said this before and I still believe it. We are a nation of haters. We are an absolute social media, especially, we are a nation of haters. We are constantly looking for the things that are wrong in people's game, in, in like in teams. We find a few teams or a few players who, that we want to build up onto a pedestal, right? We want to put on a pedestal, they're fantastic, and we and we hitch our wagon to them and and they're they're our favorites. And then, for whatever reason, there are, there are villains that we – and we vilify so many different teams now and, and coaches and, and, and players and stuff like that. Steve Sarkeesian, there's not a – we joke about it. I've joked about it before. It's saying, like, I hope, I hope they let him drink on the sideline. Like, as, as a oh joke, because he was such a great – you know, well, I mean, but for real, he was such an incredible play caller back the day at USC. And then we all kind of felt like he had lost that for whatever reason. And then you really take it – you take a step back and you realize this man fell from grace – he had, a fell, he had a fall from grace at USC. He embarrassed himself. And then he goes to Bama and does the whole coaching rehab thing. We, we joke around. He had one game. He had one game that, he, that his entire career, for whatever reason, because it's this whole, what have you done for me lately? And, and a nation of haters. They looked at this one national championship game. We blew a 14-point lead. No one talks about Bo Scarborough breaking his leg and in the injuries. Um, we talked about it. We no, I'm kidding. But, like, and then they look and see what he does at the Falcons, and everyone was so ready for him to fail. And everyone was so ready for him, to like, this mm-hmm. defense, this offense has taken a step backwards because it went from Kiffin to Dabble, which is a, t- I mean, I'll tell you what, that's like going from a Cadillac to a Buick Regal. And I've driven both, and they're not good. So it, it's it's frustrating to me that, like, you know, we, we talk about this. this this whole thing about feel good stories and coaches making we celebrate comebacks.
0: Kiffin and not we celebrate we celebrate
1: cel- that is such the best way to put it Connor we celebrate Kiffin and he has way more flaws like personally than than Sarkeesian and you look at this guy who's done everything he's been asked to do everything he's been asked to do in his personal life and in his coaching life and we don't give him any credit for it and it really pisses me I would I would honestly I'm 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 way more I'm way less offended at Bama not getting credit for a team this year, which is fine, and if they went 10-2 or 11-1, then I am about some of these players and coaches not getting the national uh, attention and notoriety they deserve because they haven't because there's an A on their chest. We talked about Wisconsin earlier the If they had if they had Bama's uniforms, they'd be ranked number one or whatever. In the same way, it's coming back to haunt other players like Xavier McKinney and Steve Sarkeesian as a coach.
0: Yep, that's, I'm off. That's I'm off fair. Soapbox. Two two notes that I want to hit on real quick here um, to keep in mind throughout this weekend. We have never seen a one-loss Power 5 conference champ get left out in favor of a one-loss non-Power 5 conference champ as it relates to Utah, as it relates to Oklahoma. That's significant, obviously. Very, very important for Bama. That would be unprecedented territory for the selection committee to enter. (laughs) One last note from the Bear. Our guy, Chris Felica, had this very interesting Bama stat that I, I'm not sure if you knew beforehand, but you're definitely going to remember it this week.
1: Oh, I remember He because brought up against LSU.
0: True. Good point. Bama, the last seven times in which it has been less than a seven-point favorite, is three and four straight up, and it's covered once. Bama is a three-and-a-half-point favorite in this one. The old something's got to give.
1: Shut up, Connor. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, let's get on I'm sorry for getting so riled up, and I know a lot of you... There's going to be people that listen to this and get pissed off because I got so amped up about it, but, like, it, it really... I, I challenge you to really... And, and like, if I'm wrong, I, I, I please tell me I'm wrong because I, I want to be as objective as possible, but I don't feel like there's a lot of stuff that I've said that it's not, like... I know I said it passionately and over overly loud and, and high-pitched, but, I mean, like, it is frustrating, and, and, I, and I, I will say... I appreciate you bringing up some of these stats about the Sarkeesian thing, especially because it is—it sounds better coming from you.
0: Rivalry week is here. Let's do some picks. Let's do some over unders. Got a lot of games to get through here. So we're—I I apologize if we're not giving your rivalry week game enough love. Shut know that it. we're going to be watching all of these. Let's start with the Egg Bowl, the game that everybody is either going to be watching on Thursday night or they watched it last night or two nights ago because they're listening to this on Friday or Saturday morning. And it was amazing. Mississippi State, two-and-a-half point favorite in this one. Marler, I said it in the preseason. The more and more I've seen from this, I'm not hedging by saying this because it's been a prediction that I've had for a long time. I think Ole Miss is going to win this game.
1: Oh, no, I love it. I love that.
0: I think Ole Miss is going to win this game. I think right now Mississippi State trying to stop the run is going to be extremely difficult. Ole Miss knows who it is on offense. Does Mississippi State? I don't think so. I don't think they do at this point. I don't care if this game is being played in Starkville or Oxford, whatever. Four straight years in which the road team has won this game anyway, so that doesn't really mean a whole lot to me. I think that Ole Miss goes into Starkville, prevents Mississippi State from getting to a bowl game. And these Joe Moorhead chirps are going to be louder than ever.
1: Man, I I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. And I tell you what, if there's ever been something you've gotten right, this, like this, again, this might need to be what's at the top of your resume. Big old pat on the back here. Big big pat on the back. You've been saying this all year long. Um, You know, I I agree. I agree. So Ole Miss has, they've covered in their last three in a row, they've covered six out of their last seven, okay? Um they didn't have a week. They didn't have a week off going into this game, right?
0: No, Ole Miss was uh, was did have a week off going into this game. Ooh. They did have a week off.
1: This this slide opened at one. It went in favor of Mississippi State. I I don't think that people like for whatever reason. I think people are still looking at Mississippi State and and giving them credit for I think last year's team. And they're just they're like this is not a program. No offense, guys. This is not one of those programs that rebuilds or re. Or, I'm sorry, that reloads and and they that the talent they had off last year's defense especially. Is is unlike anything they've ever had in the program. Okay, you have three first round picks. It's, it's never happened in the history of the program uh, before that. I don't know what's going to happen again. I got Ole Miss. I, I think this is this is a game for Matt Luke, who talks about that Mississippi made. Who talks about you know? You want Matt Luke? No, oh, Matt. Luke. I oh, sorry Are you talking about Matt Luke? You talking about Matt. I uh, yeah. head coach, Ole Miss football. There's there's there are a few games I feel like when we talk about him. Really, really caring about this university and, and this this program. There are a few games that will mean more to somebody in this conference than him in this Mississippi State game. And and I, and I tell you what, there's also if you're like if you're if you're a foreigner, okay, and you come into the states and you're like, hey, let me learn about college football. Let me learn about rivalry week. There are a few. This is like. You talk about how Rivalry Week goes up to another level. There's no better example than the Egg Bowl and kicking off Rivalry Week with a game like this because it's just like, oh, you want to talk about two people that live close together but absolutely hate each other for no rational reason for one week out of the year? Bingo! Egg Bowl. They literally made
0: up a trophy so that people wouldn't gather on the <laughs> yeah. field and fight after the game. they yeah. like, you need to have some sort of trophy celebration to Yo, do get this. On like, get on out of here. Get back to your It doesn't really work, but it's nice that they can at least have the trophy yeah, too. Yeah, true. Um, Shameless plug, I also do have a column on SDS. I think win or lose in this game, I think Joe Moorhead deserves year three. You know I'm a big fan of his, and we discussed this in the Holy SEC blank. stay or go. I would, give him, I would give him a year three. Let's do the over-under for replays of last year's extracurricular activity. And I say that... Basically by saying, like, ah, A.J. It's Brown a threw a it's punch. A Matt Corral threw a punch. Uh, we had helmets coming off. I know there was Mississippi State guys involved in this as well. I think Jonathan Abram was, was involved in this. Um, I set the over-under at 2.5. Over. By a lot. If you're a broadcast team, though, you, only, you show that at the top. How many times or throughout the course of the game do you really need to show that to show that these teams don't like each other? It's, it's pretty evident. You don't really need to like go back in the archives
1: yeah. that much. They hate each other, man. They, I mean, they flat out hate each other.
0: Mizzou, Arkansas. Oh,
1: they, hate, they hate themselves. It has
0: taken a turn, as we found out on Tuesday, that the bowl ban for Mizzou is being upheld. Congrats to the NCAA for announcing that three days before the final game of the year, which may or may not determine Mizzou's bowl eligibility. Mizzou is a 12-point favorite. That line is uh, is slightly less than what I thought it was going to be. But can you, after seeing how bad Mizzou has been on the road, how much they have struggled to score points in the last month and a half with a banged-up Kelly Bryant, can you, in your good conscience, take
1: Mizzou to cover in this game? Because I
0: can't. I just can't do it.
1: Yeah, I will because Arkansas sucks. And they're going to come out and be pissed <laughs> off because this is their last game now. This is their last game. And I want to say something. I had to write this down yesterday because I know I get too amped up to repeat it. Um, and, I, and I know the NCAA isn't listening because I, I don't think they listen to anybody that's not themselves. And there's not a more egregiously arrogant, poorly run organization in this entire country. And that includes... Uh, pyramid schemes that includes PETA's social media that includes florida state social media it is the it is the worst run and and just biggest pathetic excuse for a governing body in this country and and here you go I, i wrote this down because i was so fired up yesterday Arbitrary punishment is useless because it does absolutely nothing to teach the lesson that you're supposed to be learning. And it just makes people distrust and mistrust the organization it's coming from even more than they did before. There you go. It is. It is. Was, really, were those words you came up with? Yes, they were. And I was so fired up when I came up with it. And I, I was like, I, there's no way I'm going to be able to read. Like, that know,
0: sounded like it. That sounded like a, an opening statement from a few good men. That was know, I'm good. really
1: smart. We just don't give me credit for it. I, I, I had a really good SAT score. No one talks about the injuries Damn. I had when I took the SAT either.
0: That's true. You were dealing with a, a, a couple paper cuts. <laughs> a, uh, a couple paper cuts. <laughs> yep. You had a toe issue, turf toe. Um, um, yeah.
1: No, the, the phrase will go over. It'll go over and it, it deserves be So I, I hope not. I haven't said
0: I haven't said with the over unders. People don't know. People <laughs> don't, know. Don't, don't know. You don't know. The over/under for this game is the t- is the amount of times in which NCAA is said on the broadcast. I set the over/under at eight point five. Um, over, over, uh, and let's let's be clear here. We talked about that. We talked about this back in January. We had TJ Mo on. He discussed this as well. And I felt like you know because I, I wrote about this for for SDS as well. Another shameless plug. I'm sorry for all the shameless plugs. But basically, the NCAA said. Cooperating with us doesn't do you anything. And the fact that they have drawn this whole thing out to this point where it's now three days before this regular season finale to say this is just a joke because Mizzou's appeal was back in July. They expected to hear about this, you know, sooner than this. And the fact that the NCAA is essentially not going to overturn this because it doesn't want to walk back with the tail in between its legs is just ridiculous. They wanted it to come out and and flex their muscles after the the, the debacle that was the UNC thing with the academic fraud and inventing fake classes. But they said, oh, because it's exclusive to all students and not just student athletes, we can't actually govern here and this isn't an issue. And sorry, Greg Sankey, but that was the wrong decision. It just was. I know he ruled on that case and he was part of the the, um, infractions committee. So what Mizzou is going through right now, the only hope in this game, and I'll bring it back to this game, is that that same fight that Barry Odom talked about in the aftermath of this this whole thing, where you know he's talked about how guys were avoiding, you know, talking to other teams, we didn't have anybody, you know, go into the transfer portal, all that stuff. If you can feed on that same sort of energy and go out and kick the crap out of an Arkansas team that gave up on tackling back in like the first week of September, more power to you.
1: Yeah, agreed. Um this is happening in real time right now, Connor. Somebody's stealing the memes that I made for SDS on Facebook. Oh, nice. No. Uh, anyway. But yeah, no, I agree. It's, it's frustrating. It's really frustrating to do the right thing. And again, this, I don't want to keep beating a dead horse because as you know, you don't, like, dead horse is not something you should beat, okay? It shouldn't um, beat a
0: dead horse. That's just mean. Ever. It is mean. It's already dead.
1: But I mean, like, you talk about the same thing I said earlier about, like, doing the right thing, with like the out-of-comfort scheduling. This obviously is way more... Uh, you know, like, I guess this is obviously way more true to the actual words in that phrase itself and, 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 doing the right thing. Cause this is a morality thing, especially when you talk about like cheating on tests and the tutor, but this, yeah, this has like, why, why are we turning ourselves in for something that uh, this girl went rogue and we're not going to get into the whole, you know, like we're not going to unwrap the whole thing, but this sucks, man. It's the same thing that happened at Mississippi state and they didn't get punished.
0: If like, she had basically just in, in, the, in the tutor at Mississippi State didn't cooperate with the NCAA. The professors at UNC who had the fake classes didn't cooperate with the NCAA. But because this girl, this this tutor, posted on Facebook first instead of saying to the NCAA, like if basically if she had set, if she had just copied and pasted the message that she had on Facebook, but sent it to the NCAA infractions committee, like that would have basically taken care of Mizzou's bowl band? Like, that's the dumbest no, it's, thing it's in the so, world.
1: It's, so, it's such BS. It, it, it's like every time – I said this a long time ago, and, and I, it still stands true, and I thought when I said it, I said too much. I really did. And that's saying something for me, okay? But I, when I, I said every single effing turn that the NCAA has a chance to say or do the right thing, they choose the opposite of that. Every single, and I, that's not me trying to be funny or embellish or anything like that. This is, I, I feel this is extremely true. Every single time the NCAA has a chance to do the right thing, they choose the exact opposite of that or the hardest route to get to it. And it's like, you, you can't compare apples to oranges and each, each, diff- each scenario is different. No, man, no. It, there's not a better case to be made for, you know what? And, and again, Mizzou is a lot of things. If you don't think they're a great football team, if you don't think they belong in the SEC or the SEC East and all that kind of stuff, there are a lot of things. What they aren't are cheaters, and what they aren't are dishonest people. And, and they've done more than they more than their share of trying to do the right thing retroactively and turn themselves in. They like it's 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 mind blowing, man. It really is mind blowing. The NCAA just sucks.
0: Because you've said it three times, I need to bring up, and I'm not the only one thinking this, <laughs> the NCAA needs to watch a certain Spike Lee film do the right thing. Yeah,
1: they do, man. It's just, it's just it's, really, it it's really frustrating.
0: Put it in your VHS player that we all know you guys have. <laughs> you have, you, you know, you remember back in back in school where they would bring in like the, the, the TV? Yeah, they'd reel out the TV. <laughs> they definitely still do that at the NCAA. Oh, without no a doubt, doubt. I No doubt, no doubt. Just these
1: beige orange tints on all their VHS things. Like, here's the For rules. sure.
0: All right, right, we're it to the beginning. Yeah, right. Uh, all right, Clemson in South Carolina. Clemson, as predicted, is a four-touchdown favorite, 27-point favorite in this one. We have no idea what South Carolina is going to look like. Um, actually, you know what? We do. We do. We do have an idea what South Carolina is going to look like, despite the fact that they actually played pretty competitively in this game last year in Death Valley, the other Death Valley, the ACC Death Valley. Clemson, I think, is still going to come out and just put a hurting on them. Clemson's quietly been racking up these really dominant victories in which they haven't even had the first half lulls right. as much. They have been so, so dominant. I don't know what South Carolina's playing for in this one. We expect Will Muschamp to return. I don't know how South Carolina gets fired up to play this one. A lot of question marks at the skill positions of guys who are going to be playing, guys who aren't going to be playing. Um, I, I think Clemson covers, and I, I think this is just a really, really tough look for the home crowd at South Carolina.
1: Yeah, I think I think we already know at this point what this game is going to be. I, I mean, I, I think that I just U
0: G L Y.
1: There it is. I I just don't think. Just get get the season over with. Get to the ne- Get just on to the be, next. Yeah, man. just be done. You know with what it. I mean? It's just been it's been an up and down year for South Carolina. Mainly down. I mean, just overwhelmingly down. Um, never forget Georgia. Never forget Georgia. But just you know, move on to the next man.
0: How I set the over under for noticeable home crowd boos. That means you can watch on TV and you hear the boo birds coming. A lot of times that's when teams are going into the halftime at like with a 28 point deficit or something like that, or just the offense has like the third straight three and out. I set the over under at three.
1: Oh, um, over. Yeah. Yeah. Lots or, and lots or a push. push. Yeah. Agreed. Or a push.
0: Georgia, Georgia Tech, game <laughs> right down the road from you. Good old Bobby Dodd Stadium, Georgia. I was I was actually a little bit off on this one. I had this as a 24 point spread, I believe, and Georgia is a 28 and a half point favorite. Well, that shows you how bad you'll, Georgia Tech you'll is. You me. I should I should have. You're you're right. You said Georgia was going to be a, even more of a favorite in this one.
1: Oh no, I was making fun of Georgia Tech when I said that. Georgia Tech is really bad. Oh, they're just, they're, yeah, they're, yeah, you, yeah. You don't give me any credit. Georgia Tech is you a put, very bad team.
0: I see what you did there. You yeah. put Georgia Tech in the position of Michael Scott. There you go. And I'm okay with that. There you go. <laughs> and, and Georgia is essentially, and I am jammed in this situation. I don't, if oh, that's weird. You're
1: we getting too far into it, but yeah,
0: I am. I am. Yeah. I apologize. Do you think Georgia covers?
1: Yeah, I do. Uh, Kirby's 11 and four against the spread as a way chalk. um they're, they've. I think Georgia has won their last 10 and covered. I think 10 out of their last 11 on the road at Bobby Dodd. This will be an overwhelmingly. Uh, red and black filled stadium in, in, in downtown Atlanta uh, Saturday afternoon. And again, I hope Georgia enjoys it. I hope they enjoy beating my my second favorite team and all that kind of stuff. But let's just let's just on Saturday. I want you, to, you know what I, as a as a Yankee Connor, I want you to focus on this this weekend. I want you to see oh. how many Georgia fans. This is this should be the true over under. How many Georgia fans? In the same way that I pretend to care about gluten and my weight around Thanksgiving. How many of them are gonna pretend that this that they care about this Georgia Tech rivalry? Because the answer is a bunch, and they, they also it's, it, no, none of them do. None of them do.
0: It's clean, old fashioned hate, man. It's even not. this Yankee knows that. It, yeah, it's 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 hard to hate when you're so bad. Georgia Tech, I think, has the number one twenty-one or one twenty run defense in the country. Oh God! Hey. Let's also so, let's also yikes. give
1: credit where credit's due. And I hate when people say this, but I'm gonna say it now, Georgia fans. One of these teams has won a championship in the last 30 years. Okay.
0: That, that. Oh, they're out there. there fans, I love you guys. Jordan I love you fans guys. I'm are, just kidding. I just
1: feel bad for Tech, man. They're literally nerds. They're literally, you should see the tailgates, man. It was awful. People playing like, play like REO Speedwagon. It looked like a Jimmy Buffett concert from like the 80s. It was terrible. And then <laughs> and they're like, well, I swear to God, I'm not making this up. When they played, they played all this like rap music. And I love what they're doing for the culture down there at, at Bobby Dodd. But, like, every, t- every single time they should people on the Jumbotron, no matter what song it was, and they would show them trying to clap along, it was like, no, if you, buck boy, like, bullet, they were off off by a half second every single time.
0: Nothing will get you fired up like messing up, "nuck if you buck. I don't stand for it, man. That came out at the gym the other day, and I was like, Marler would be head-bobbing <laughs> full different. throttle right now. <laughs> uh, I think Georgia covers as well in this game. Because of the aforementioned awful Georgia Tech run defense, God, it's such a good stat. I set right. the over/under at Georgia pass attempts at thirteen.
1: Oh, it's got to be over, right? They, no, I, I gotta say over because they gotta get that right going into the game against LSU. You know, you can run, make it fun.
0: Probably not gonna have Lawrence Kager in this one. I, Guessing he's gonna miss another game. I wouldn't play Lawrence Kager.
1: There's no way. I, I mean, you know, think honestly, maybe maybe the uh, how many from pass attempts do you think?
0: That's well. That's what I'm saying. Is for for Georgia essentially is 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 total pass attempts. So if it's if it's 13, then I think there's I think there's a very realistic scenario in which Fromm is one of those like seven for 11 lines, which he has like 150 yards, right. and then you know they just run the rest of the time because you have the backs to do it. I mean, I think this is going to be a big Brian Harrington game. I wouldn't be oh, surprised like to see that. Yeah. Let's talk Louisville. And Kentucky, I didn't say like a total idiot this time. I don't know why um, he did that yet. Wah, <laughs> Kentucky is a three-point favorite, much to my surprise. I thought that Louisville was going to be a road favorite. I actually said it right that time. I'm going to give myself credit. Um, Kentucky already has bowl eligibility clinched, as does Scott Satterfield. Scott Satterfield, yeah, that's his name, right? Um, the, his Louisville Cardinals, the first year of the post Bobby Petrino era. Do we think that Kentucky can not only, well, you know, I guess it's it's two of the same. Do we think Kentucky is going to win and cover in this one?
1: Um. Yes, I don't say with a lot of confidence.
0: You don't. No. Okay.
1: I mean, it's just I don't know. Like, I, I think they're playing this game's at home for them, right? This
0: game is in Lexington. Nobody gets out of Kroger
1: Field alive. Well, they've they've been very good at home, and they've been very good against the spread and Tennessee. Too. Um. I don't know. I mean, so Satterfield when he was at uh, Appalachian State, that was like one of his big things. Like they were twenty and seven and one. Happy State. Yeah, yeah, Happy State. He is twenty seven and one. Twenty seven and one. there he against go. the spread. Um, in the I messed that up last time we brought him up too. Isn't that weird? I don't know. Why I'm so yeah, bad it at is that is so weird. Um, oh, <laughs> so goodness. the road team, uh, they've been favored in the last five in the series. I, I don't think any of that matters. I think being at home. I think they win. I think they cover.
0: I will put my money in Mark Stoops' bank to cover on this Love one. Um, Mark Stoops, big big boost after you know announcing to the team that he's coming back. Think that team plays hard. They still want to get that eight win season. Total combined rushing yards in this game. I set the over under at four fifty. Both of these teams run, run, and run some more. Top twenty five rushing offenses in the country. Do you know Kentucky is a top fifteen rushing offense this year?
1: No. Well, I mean that makes sense to be honest because it's that, yeah. you know that's the that's service academy you bring up.
0: That's fair. That's actually that's a good point. That's a really good point with uh, our guy, Lynn Bowden, who is just having a ridiculously good year. Yeah. The numbers are going to be so fun to look back on because he's going he's to potentially lead Kentucky in receiving and rushing and maybe even passing, which yeah. is just crazy stupid. He, he will have the Paul Hornig Award at year's end, no doubt about it. Vandy, Tennessee. Tennessee, to my surprise, 21 point favorite. I thought this was going to be on the lower end. I thought this was going to be less than two touchdowns. I said that this spread wasn't going to get that high because of the streak that Vandy has three years in a row beating Tennessee. Oh, The odds makers do not care about that at all. They think this is going to be an absolute rout. The question is, does Uncle Chris think it's also going to be a rout?
1: 21 is too high. Right? Vandy's covered six of the bit. last seven of, the, of this series. They've won. They've been covered six of the last seven. They've won three in a row. They're go, I mean they are god awful this year. They are absolutely terrible. But Tennessee, man, twenty one points is too much. That's too much. That is too, too much. much. I'll take Vandy to cover just just because. You know uh, how many points is is, is Tennessee going to score?
0: That's the question. If Garantano plays like he did last week, then you know, we're we're talking about something totally different. Vandy also, much like Arkansas, kinda of given up on the whole tackling thing. Yeah. It's just a little bit overrated, a little bit like oh, last God. year's thing. <laughs> Not the 2019 thing.
1: I I tell you what, I don't I usually talk about the, the first half lines, and I don't know what the second half line is yet, because it usually comes out the day of. Whatever the second half line is, I'll take i I'll take Tennessee. Whatever it is. Interesting. Because I, I just think at this point, like they'll come out fired up because Derek Mason anchor down what um I, does
0: he bring an anchor on the road too to drop that is the worst they don't show that on TV. In,
1: in all sports man <laughs> that is the dumbest thing i just i mean there's get my biceps tired get my biceps and forearms tired before we go out and play this game um I, I i would take whatever the second half line is for tennessee in this game just because there's they will roll over and die
0: i'm gonna take mandy to cover slightly speaking of Derek mason how many times are we going to see a replay of him riding that dang horse like he did after the win last year, that post-game celebration, where um, he's riding the horse, he's riding the horse, he's fired up that they got bowl eligibility. Oh, over one? It's a pretty good, pretty good video. I set the over-under at one. Yeah,
1: I'll say a push.
0: Okay. If they show that multiple times, it's, things have gone awfully wrong for Tennessee. Yeah. Let's yeah. just say that. A&M, LSU, big, big game for LSU just to avenge last year's loss. Actually, that's going to be part of the over-under. LSU, as guest, I swear I didn't look at the line, 17-point favorite. Did you have that? I did have that. Damn, son. I did have that, Thank you. Do we think that LSU is going to cover a three-score spread against an A&M team that pushed them to, I I don't want to say they pushed them to the brink last year because A&M won, but uh, obviously a a game last year that was thrilling, back-and-forth, sticky, um, can LSU turn the tide this year?
1: Um, yeah, LSU. There's remember that scene in Home Alone where where f- like they're like you're gonna sleep on the third floor with Fuller. Fuller wets the bed, and they show Fuller drinks like, all that like, Coke. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, Pepsi. But he's like he's like mm-hmm. that's all I saw when Coach O was like. Mm-hmm.
0: Wait, are you sure it was Pepsi? Positive. What? Maybe in two he's got the Coke can.
1: Either way, Connor, it doesn't matter. It, it is, matters to me as it a Home matters Alone purist. It's real to it me, damn it. Lot. Um, <laughs>
0: I'm thankful that I own Home Alone and Home Alone One and Home Alone Two. BHS, home Alone Three is trash. That's yeah. Home Alone um, Three is uh, so no. bad. Blu-ray.
1: Um, and that four with French Stewart. Let's like it. we it's don't right? talk yeah. about that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I, I will say, I'll say they cover because Coach O just seems he just he scares me and i know we joke around with that but he legitimately scares me when he does stuff like this because he's like oh it's all uh.
0: you know how we i said after the bama game i'm like it really kind of frustrates me that players would do uh like the instagram live or facebook live or something like that mm-hmm. after a game like that that moment should belong to that team all that I am putting that policy aside for the start of this game. I need to see what this pregame speech looks like in that LSU locker room because Coach O is going to be all sorts of fired up, and that's saying a lot for him. I think that LSU, given what we've seen the last week about how they're approaching this game, yes, they're confident. Kellen Mond kind of was like, yeah, not surprised to see that they're, they're pretty confident in this game and was kind of calling them out a little bit. Um, LSU has all the reasons to be confident with how good they have looked. Joe Burrow talked about you know getting to 12 and 0. I think LSU covers, and I think LSU you know coming off of the the number two ranking gets a little bit of that extra motivation despite the fact that that a defense, like I've said, is improved. It's definitely improved. I'm very encouraged by what I've seen so far. If I'm an Aggie fan, but yes, give me LSU to cover 17. How many times in this game are we going to hear the word revenge? Or Avenge. They're very similar in yeah. that regard. I set the over-under at eight.
1: Over, uh, Two-a-quarter. Over, yeah. I mean, just... Hey, man. Because Coach O's mad. He's just mad. He's real oh, mad. Oh, he's not happy. No. He's not happy. So I would say, odds are over.
0: Florida State and Florida. The do-something bowl. Florida is trying to do something that it hasn't done since the Urban Meyer era, which is have consecutive seasons of double-digit wins, could clinch a New Year's Six Bowl with a victory against the Seminoles, Florida is a 17 and a half point favorite. Who you got?
1: Um I got Florida big. This is going to be a bloodbath. Um Florida hasn't won in the swamp versus FSU since 2009. That's a real no. Yeah. Is that right? Oh yeah. Really? I was I was Holy equally as shocked, Connor. Um I got Florida and I got Florida big. Oh my god. I got a pretty this weight, man. Yeah.
0: They haven't done... So, basically, in the post-Tebow era... His, his that.
1: last game at home was the, wow. was the last time... Isn't that crazy? Oh, my goodness. No. Yeah, Jesus I mean, McElwain. I don't think... Like, this, how bad was McElwain? Goodness.
0: Seriously. I mean, McIlwain was going against some, some decent Florida State teams
1: 20, still, but, I, Whatever, whatever. Eh.
0: More like Must Champ. What do you do? Actually, must no, Champ. No, because that's 2013. That's 2013. Yeah. yeah. All right, fair enough. Um, I'm going to take Florida to cover because... Every time I take them to not cover, I feel like I get bit in the butt by it. So um, Kyle Trask, who announced during the week that he's coming back, that quarterback room all of a sudden looks really, really interesting. We don't know necessarily for sure what's going to happen with Felipe Franks. Maybe Amory Jones says, you know what, I'm going to transfer. I'm going to go elsewhere. Who knows what is going to unfold with that situation this offseason. But I am suddenly really, really interested, even though that seemed like kind of an obvious thing, that Kyle Trask was going to come back. I'm going to take Florida to cover in this game. I set the over-under – for references to FSU's coaching search brought up on the broadcast at 2.5
1: over in the first, I five almost went minutes. with
0: minutes. Yeah, I almost went with minutes on this, but I decided not to because if there's garbage time in this game, which I think there is going to be, they, they'll bring it up once at the end and they'll talk about it for like four minutes of game time, and that's technically only bringing it up once. So I maybe minutes and seconds is the better way to go. Let's move. On. It's going to be discussed. Yeah, let's move on.
1: There's no knocking the door. You? I'm just fired up. <laughs> oh, okay. All right,
0: at it. all right. Iron Bowl. Talked about it a little bit. Game that you might be watching. Depending on what you got going on Saturday afternoon. I don't know what your plans are. Maybe eating a like, third batch of Hawaiian rolls like I am. Bama's a three and a half point favorite. Marlar, you said that Auburn was going to win this game. I did. Are you standing by that?
1: No, I'm not. I'm not. And, I, and we'll transition into my lock of the week as well. Let's do it. I am fired up and I am a Connor. You could not have been more. You've said so many things on this podcast over the time, over all the times, all the times, all the time. <laughs> that have been spot on. You've done a really good job of, of keeping me level-headed and all those things. Alabama's not losing this football game. Alabama's not losing this football game. And I'll tell you what, this is the worst rush defense that Alabama's had in 10 years. they are giving up over 130 yards a game. It doesn't look even close to being the same as we've seen in the past. Auburn will line up and run it down Bama's throat for most of the first half. It'll be it'll be a, a, a miserable first 30 minutes. Alabama's not losing this game. And I tell you what, we sit here and I talk about the injuries and I talk about losing to Because nobody else them. is. Nobody you have to else talk is. about them. And I, we talked about Sar- Sarkeesian earlier, but one person we don't talk about near enough that we don't give enough credit for for who's going to go out and win this ballgame, and that is Nick effing Saban. And that defense is going to come out there and they're going to play with their hair on fire in the second half and they're going to realize all the things that we still want to do even without Tua and all these other players out, we still control. And they're going to come out there and they're going to beat Bo Nix and they're going to beat Auburn and they're going to win that game and they're going to be 11-1 and they're going to go get beat in the Sugar Bowl by Oklahoma. But that doesn't matter because tomorrow, I'm sorry, Saturday, Alabama finishes the season 11-1 and they beat Auburn. Roll effing Tide. How
0: ahead of your skis are you? Where you said tomorrow? I'm We're fired up.
1: Wednesday. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm excited for this one. and I, I really am, and, and I'll eat crow if I'm wrong. And, and there's a very good chance that came is an outstanding Auburn team. It's an outstanding Auburn defense. I do want to say one thing that I've got an over/under for you,
0: Mike. Can, can I make my pick first? No, we'll oh be. yeah,
1: absolutely. Go ahead. All right. I think
0: you're gonna hate this. I don't care. I don't care what you say. <laughs> I'm taking Bam. I'm taking Bam to win by a <sighs> touchdown. I know you're going to hate that. I know you are. I, you don't You don't want that. You don't want that smoke right now. I'm going to take Bama to win by a touchdown. And like I've been saying about Steve Sarkeesian, I think this is his to borrow a quote from Jim Harbaugh that he also did not come up with. What the or, hell, dude? Pick Bama. Steve... Don't give me
1: a Jim Harbaugh <laughs> quote. God
0: damn it. It's going to be Steve Sarkeesian's finest hour. And I think after this game, we'll come away with a, a different kind of respect for him. And the points that they're going to be able to put up, I still think that they're going to score points against this Auburn defense. Yep. As great as this Auburn defense has been. Yeah, I think, I think that this this is going to end up being like a 31-24 to 24 type game that Bama wins. It just gives that little, little sliver of hope that if craziness happens, Bama can find a way to make it in the playoff. I don't think that Bama is going to make it in the playoff, but I'm saying that they at least give themselves somewhat of a possibility by winning and scoring more points than anybody has against this Auburn defense yet this Mac year. Mac Jones! Do I want to do my over-under first or your over-under?
1: I want to do mine. That way I don't cut you off, which you know I would. Um, Okay, over-under. And this is is great, all right? That defensive line is fantastic for Auburn. They're going to give Bama fits up front, especially in the interior part. Over-under on how many personal fouls or penalties Landon Dickerson gets at center.
0: (sighs) What's the over-under? Oh, I'm
1: going to say one and a half. Oh, I was
0: afraid you were going to say that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean,
0: he's getting two. He's, he's getting, getting two, two, right? There's no doubt, right? Ugh. Yeah, there's that, that is a pretty safe bet. Good old number 69. Uh, very he's nice, except worst. not nice for you if that happens. My over-under is combined touchdown passes. Passes. Yeah. Key thing here. Key thing to remember for Mac Jones, return of the Mac, and Bo Nix. I set the over-under at three.
1: Uh, Over? And I'll tell you what. I'll say push. It's going to be a push. Exactly three. Two to one? Yeah, two to one. And I will bet you almost anything, Bo Nix does not have a touchdown pass, or his first touchdown pass, is going to be on a trick play.
0: Oh, I like that. Guaranteed.
1: Double or nothing on all the stuff, okay? On all the things, all the times.
0: So, you said this was your lock of the week.
1: I got plenty. Yes. Oh, so I'm, all right. I'll, I'll,
0: go through, I'll go through for, for, for mine first here. Um, feeling, my, feeling myself a little bit here after this Penn State uh, redemption pick that I had. <laughs> Penn State covering 18 and a half. Thankfully, the Lions did not let me down despite that awful start. I'm going with another big, big line this week. Big line. Colorado covers 28 and a half at Utah. I know everybody's talking about Utah right now. All the pressure is on Utah to be able to, to win this game, to win out. That's the expectation now that a lot of people have. Oh, now that Oregon's lost, all eyes are on them. Can they look the part? Couldn't you just picture a scenario in which this game, which, by the way, is on ABC, primetime, 7.30 Saturday night, despite the fact that it's a 28 and a half point spread. Can't you just picture a scenario in which you're, it's like 10 o'clock or something like that? 10.30 on Saturday night, and you're kind of flipping around, you're checking the scores or whatever, and you're like, Utah's up by a touchdown right now? That's it? Against Colorado? You you're shaking no, your head. You disagree I with that. i tell
1: you what, when it's going to happen is when Oregon beats them on Friday night the following week and Bama gets back in the playoff. Whoop, whoop. I will say, wow. yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and, and throw that out there now to the football gods. But there's Utah no, is no way West Utah- Coast. There's no way. I, I don't think they lose this
0: game. I'm not. It won't be close. But it's a 20. It's 28 and They've a half. They've won and so
1: covered much. in their last seven straight since the USC loss.
0: Colorado's coming off two nice wins. Just beat Washington last week. Held Washington to 32 rushing yards. If you're going to try and stop Oregon, you, or if you're going to try and stop Utah, rather, you got to stop the ground game. I think Laviska Chenault makes a couple ridiculous plays to keep this game somewhat close. He had a catch last week that was just absurd. Oh yeah. my goodness! Some of the catches that that guy makes. Give me the fighting Mel Tucker's <laughs> to cover a 20 and a half point spread.
1: 0-3 in on Pac-12 road games this year against the spread. Don't care. But I love it. I love I love with the enthusiasms out. If you ever quote Jim Harbaugh while you're defending Alabama again, we're going to fight. It's, but it was, that, no,
0: um, it's like Michael Scott, Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, know? that's
1: fair. All right. Bama money line, first and foremost. Ooh. Love it. I'm saying a part of that with my head, mainly with my heart. I touched it. I touched what are those? It what are
0: those odds right now? Do you know that? The
1: money line? Yeah, no, my minus It's probably minus 140. Okay. Um, around there. It's between 140 and 160, I would assume. All right, are you ready? We're going all uh, Tennessee second half line. I, I don't care what it is. I'm taking Tennessee. Okay? What if it's 25? They, it won't be. But yeah, it, if it is, they'll be down 14 and I'd still take it. Because uh, they've right. win by a, a 12. But yeah, so I'll take Tennessee second half. Uh, LSU. Texas A&M over thirty-one points in the first half, guarantee well, that happens. That's not you know maybe we back off the Tennessee thing. We'll take we won't take that one right now, okay? Because we don't know what that is. But um, Texas A&M LSU over thirty-one points in the first half. Bama Auburn over twenty-four points in the first half. Ohio State down to wait for who?
0: For everybody. You want points all around? Oh yeah. I, well, I'm we, here
1: for it. LSU's defense is trash, like I always say. And then, and top of that, A and M. Like, I mean, they're going to – listen, LSU's going to put up points, and they're going to put up points early against this team. They are fired up. So I'll take – I'll take that over. I'll take the Bama-Auburn uh, thing because there's going to be a trick play involved and Bama's offense also. 24 points to the Bama-Auburn, you're talking about a 14-10 halftime score. I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, also, I don't think Bama's making a field goal in this game, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Ohio State is a four-point favorite. I'll tell you what I'll do with that. First-half money line. And I'll put four, all, four point in the first half, yeah, right? Yeah, it's two, an
0: it's an eight point spread. I'll overall. take yeah.
1: all the money, all the time. Ohio all State time. first half, and that's it. I'm gonna keep it simple this week. I might have some other stuff later. You know what's funny? Is I looked at Ac- Action Network has this. I think I brought it up last week about Oregon State money line in the first half. Did I bring that up? I don't think so. I think I told Allie and she didn't care at all. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's basically it's like your best picks of the week, and somebody said all year. Oregon State this team doesn't know how to win. They lose a lot of games in the second half. Take the first half money line. It's almost always two to three times the money. They've been ahead in a lot of games early on this year. Um, they're playing Oregon this week. I, don't, I see Oregon kind of putting it on them. No offense, babe, if you're listening. But, uh, yeah, I've, those, are, those are three I'm definitely going to go with. I, I love that Ohio State first half money line.
0: Tell me, what do you don't love the Ohio State first half money line? And then I'll be surprised. Let's just assume that from here in perpetuity – that it's locked. Did I
1: use that right? I don't even I, know what that means. What are you Kevin, talking about? Kevin O'Leary on Shark Tank. I went through perpetuity, it, perpetuity when I was 12, and I haven't thought about it since. So.
0: Close, but not quite. <laughs> I like where you're going with that. Let's kick it to our interview with uh, our, our good friend, the guy who we're going to be in his corner from now in perpetuity. See what I did yes, there? That's right. That was a little, little callback. <laughs> it is Gene Chizik, the former national championship winning coach, the current SEC network analyst, and maybe, maybe the future coach of a certain team that's in South Florida oh, that may or may not have an opening that I would totally be on board for. Let's kick it to Gene Chiswick. We're now excited to be joined by a very special guest, a first-time guest, in fact, but one who we've wanted to have on for a while now. It is Gene Chiswick. Gene, you're officially the first person we've ever had on the podcast who has both a national championship ring and who also owns multiple chicken finger restaurants. Be honest. Which one of those things crossed your mind more so far today?
2: Uh, let Let me just tell you this, all right? Chicken fingers, I try not to let them cross my mind because if you anybody out there is listening that's even remotely considering owning restaurants, I caution you, please don't, okay? That's the bottom. <laughs>
0: All right, I, I understand that. I understand the chicken finger game. You know, we've talked about that before. And you know, one of the chance, one of the things that we got to learn about you from getting to spend the day with you in Charlotte SEC Network was just how crazy your typical week is, and just kind of you know. Basically, since you know your since you know your coaching days have you know you, you, you went you, you decided to step down at UNC. Since then, you know life has just been kind of all over the place for you. So we're we're talking to you on a Monday morning. If you don't mind, can you give us a rundown of what your schedule looks like basically through Sunday when you when you finally get back to Auburn?
2: Yeah, yeah. It, that, that, it's it's kind of a interesting dynamic, guys. So uh, you know Monday morning. Uh, obviously I've done TV all weekend. That's when you guys, you know, spend time with us and we had a great time, but I come back on Sunday night and, uh, we try to, well, let me, well, I'll start with Monday and I'll take it through Sunday because they all kind of run together. But anyway, Monday, when I get back, uh, I will, uh, always first thing first in the morning. Now I get up early, I'm going to get my workout in. get my mind, right. Got to get, got to get everything in order, right? Got to get the house in order. Uh, and then I will, you know, usually have a meeting with my managers, uh, with my restaurants, uh, either by phone, conference call, or in person, uh, just to make sure that that front is, uh, is good to go. Uh, my wife and I usually try to, you know, go out to lunch, just kind of hang out, do something casual. And then the rest of the day literally is going through the film, of the important games from the sec, uh, that we, you know, that we saw over the weekend that, uh, on Monday is kind of, you know, my football fix, right? So I'm going to, on Mondays, watch the film, see why and what happened when LSU beat Alabama, see what happened when, uh, Auburn beat Oregon, see what happened when, you know, Georgia beat Notre Dame. I want to know why it happened, guys, because as I told you, you know, when I come on and I, I do interviews with people, I don't want it to be something I read. I want it to be something right. that I saw that I truly myself, you know, believe in. Um, so, th- so that's Monday. And really and truly, guys, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, even through Thursday to a degree, is always uh, watching film and really dissecting teams so i'll look at the Mondays, some of some of tuesdays just to see what the you know what happened in those games and then i'll move forward and take a snapshot ahead of what you know what the games are that are going to be played and you know so i'll i'll try to i'll try to look at that and then i'll go back around wednesday or thursday and i'll start reading what everybody's opinion was about those games cuz what's really interesting is that those are all snapshot opinions? Yeah. And after I've watched the game film, I can tell you how accurate those are or they're not. And it's really interesting because many times they match up, but there's a lot of times they don't too. And uh, so Daughter, an don't input. write anything else.
0: Seriously, I feel like <laughs> mine are just going to be way off your snapshot. I'm in I'm in trouble. Nobody nobody juxtaposed those two. Yours are going to be more accurate than mine.
2: <laughs> well. Hey, you know, I, I really like to watch it and, and, and try to, you know, collect real, you know, gather really, uh, informative stuff. So, uh, so I really spend the lion's share of that, but like last week, guys, intertwined in there was a speaking engagement on a Monday night in, in, uh, Jacksonville, North Carolina. Then Thursday night, there was a speaking engagement in, uh, Birmingham, Alabama. So I've got a lot of those sprinkled in through the weeks too. Uh, but, that carries me to Friday morning where uh, I'm going to get up early. Uh, I'm going to fly into Charlotte. We're going to have uh, a Friday night show with Chris Doring, myself, and uh, and Dari, Noka. And uh, so we'll do our prep for that show that night. Uh, we'll do the show that night. We'll get up Saturday, and that's when you guys came in. And we had the pleasure of hosting you guys and, and uh, let you kind of see behind the scenes what that looks like, which is an all-day grind. And then uh, I will get up early in the morning. Sometimes that night, which as you were there, I left that night um, because because of my son playing at Furman. Um, I'm going to see him on the weekend. I don't get to see his games, unfortunately, uh, but I I get to see him on Sundays. So I will leave either late that night, and I know that's crazy because it's a two-hour drive and I get out at twelve thirty one 1 o'clock, but I can't sleep after the shows directly anyway. So I'll, I'll take that drive to Furman and uh, meet my wife there who goes to every game, and then we will drive back to Auburn together. And start it all over again, and this will be week 14 coming up of doing this, I believe. Gosh. So that's, I that kind like of... the
1: same schedule as <laughs> I have. It's crazy.
2: <laughs> I love
0: it. The work ethic, too. And, you know, yeah. what you left out about something like that, too, is that sometimes, you know, you've had a couple of games where, you you know, you've called games on, on ESPN for, yeah. like, a Friday night game in the ACC. Or, like, just a few weeks ago, we're listening to you call the Tulsa-UCF game. And, like, right. you just sprinkle that in there as well, which is crazy crazy. crazy to think about with how much you travel for somebody that you know prep for that yeah like I, i can't even imagine the amount of work that goes into that and that's the underappreciated thing so like You're somebody that you have your nose to the ground, like you're working so much. But I imagine this time of year for you has just been different than it has been in recent memory. We've talked about how unique your situation is as somebody who, you know, you still have that passion for coaching, but you love your gig at SEC Network. You love life right now. You don't need the money. You're not ring chasing or anything like that. You're an empty nester now that Callie's playing at Furman. Has that itch to return to coaching intensified as the regular season has kind of wound down here?
2: You know, guys, it's an interesting question. Uh, you know, this time of the year is when I start, you know, normally fielding calls about interest. Um, you know, the, the previous years, it's been an absolute no, uh, just because Callie's been in high school and my charge when I left North Carolina was to make sure that I spent, you know, his last two years of high school with him and, uh, you know, just being at home to, to see him play. Now the you know, the shift, it's shifted a little bit. Um, you know, I, I don't know where I'll, I don't know how I'll feel. Here, here's, you know, you guys brought up some great points, and I've made this point to you guys. No, I'm not chasing rings. I'm not chasing money. I'm not chasing anything that, as a young coach, most coaches chase, okay? They want to be to those points where I've already been, and I've just been really blessed to be uh, a part of those, on track with the right people uh, at the right time, and so I've done all that. So, you know, whatever comes that may or may intrigue me, it's just going to have to be a great fit. Um, and, and look, what does that look like? I don't even know that I can articulate what it looks like. You know, I'll know when I feel it, see it, hear it and, uh, you know, and dive into it a little bit. Uh, but like you guys said, I love the work. I love to work hard because I, I love to, I love to accomplish stuff. Right. And, It doesn't have to be what the world thinks is an accomplishment. It has to be how I feel accomplished. I feel accomplished when I can spend the day uh, getting up and working out, get my mind right, uh, taking my wife out to lunch. We go to the movies. I grind on football for six hours, and then I go do a speaking engagement. When I put my head on the pillow that night, I feel like I've worked. I feel like I've done stuff. I feel like I've accomplished things in And really every, you know, aspect of my life that makes me feel like today was productive. And so, um, you know, when it comes to the coaching world, if I feel like that one scenario is out there that is challenging yet doable uh, and it's a great fit for Gene Chizik, um, you know, it's, it's definitely a consideration.
1: Well, I guess we probably shouldn't ask you to be a third member of this podcast. Um, that was that was for the next. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, it's funny because you bring up the, the work ethic thing, or and I don't actually I don't know if, if you brought up or Connor brought up because you're such a humble guy. But I, I said this then, and I'm still blown away by it. I've never seen someone work the way that you worked, and and you know it's a testament I think just to how you know you're just built. And so you talk about coaches, and 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 something has just unfortunately become a. Uh, I think the norm in in coaching now is there's a very small time for turnaround uh, with coaches, you know, before coaches are fired. Like we've seen it this year with Taggart, where he's fired in the second season, same with Chad Morris. How many years or what do you think is the appropriate amount of time for someone to get a fair shot uh, with coaching uh, nowadays?
2: You know, guys, one of the things that I've been so impressed with you guys and just reading your stuff and, and, you know, getting to know you is I think you guys have a real – grip on on reality with this with, with this business and i think you guys do a real good job of understanding things so i hope you understand this i don't think you can put a fair number on that i'd love to say give a guy four years i mean that would be ideal right but here's the thing you know when you fire a guy in two years um when you fire a guy in three years what, whether whatever the, the timing is um I think some of those probably are fair. Uh, In most cases, they're probably not fair. But here's what you and I don't know. We don't know what it looks like every day there behind the scenes. Okay? Right. Um, What I mean by that is the people that have to make the decisions, um, if they truly are making the decisions because they have fairly evaluated whether or not they feel like this particular coach can resurrect the abyss, come out of the abyss that they're in because they've been to practice. They see a lot. They're behind the scenes. They've seen meetings. They've got guys in position to say, you know what, dude has lost these guys. Like there's, there's no way out. The recruiting's gone south. They can't rec- – you know, you know, everybody's decommitting. The players right now – You know, out at practice, you're getting this scenario, that scenario. Watch the players on the sideline. Watch them. You know, there's a lot of things involved in that that we don't know, particularly because the only glimpse we get is what we see on Saturday. And let me tell you guys an easy out. An easy out is when you watch a team play and they got beat by Alabama by 40 and you say they quit. Okay? Well, there's a bunch of teams that get beat by Alabama by 40. A bunch. A bunch and you're not saying that about them. And typically, kids don't just quit. Now, I'm not saying it never happens. I'm saying that in the, in the circumstances where the, you have lost the kids, your coaches have lost the kids, you know, all of those scenarios, those are all factors that maybe make you pull the trigger faster than normal, which we don't, and I used to say that on the set all the time about Chad, right? guys. Uh, and Chris Dorn was Chris Doran was adamant he gets another year, and I don't think it's that simple. I don't want to see anybody fired. I've been there, okay uh but the reality of it is is some of those are some of those are warranted early, some of them are not and for us to make the judgment and say, I think a guy gets at least three years. well, I don't know if he gets three years if you know after Two years and three games, they're one in ten, you know, oh, or one in, you know, one in eleven, oh, and twelve. They have no recruiting, and you see no hope at all on offense, defense, special recruiting. There's nothing there. There's nothing there, and so, and and you couple that with what in the world is going on behind the scenes at practice every day. You got guys throwing their helmets guys not showing up, guys being late, guys guys bone up on the coaches, you know, all of those things are factors. And um, you know, so we don't know what that looks like. That's probably a long answer to tell you that I don't know if I can give a definitive year <laughs> on how and on how how long a coach gets. I would love to say 3 to 4 to build it. Um, and that would be a that would be a great number. Dude, you got four years. I don't care what the first three look like. But then all of a sudden things pop up that, you know, make you think that you this guy can't pull it out of a tailspin. Because let's be honest, there's been a lot of mistake hires out there. And you guys can answer this. Tell me how you know if there's a no-brainer hire. Was, hey, let me ask you all something. Was Brett Bielma That's a, question. a great coach at, at Wisconsin? I'm asking you all.
1: Oh, absolutely. I thought he was.
2: Yeah, Right? Well, he stinks at Arkansas, right? I mean, that's what people are going to say. Brett right. Beal was the same coach at Arkansas that he was at Wisconsin. And so you look at these hires and you say, well, this guy's a no-brainer. Well, this guy's a no-brainer. Well, this guy's a no-brainer. I can tell you a lot of no-brainers that people thought were that aren't. And then I can tell you a lot of guys that people question. You want to know where one is right now? LSU. Yep. Yeah. Because you know why? Good point. Because they thought he couldn't do it at Ole Miss. But then he went and he, got, he grew. He learned from his mistakes. He was around people who did it correctly. He pulled the things that he thought were worthy. He dropped the things from his old repertoire that he probably reflected on and realized they weren't right. And now who's going to say he's the wrong hire? So, you know, th- that's kind of where I'm at with that. And, and it, look, it's a it's a hard deal, man. I wouldn't want to be hiring dudes. <laughs> you never know who's right. gonna work if it's <laughs> not, you know? So oh, anyway, a probably you. a probably a long answer. Uh, with not giving you a whole lot to bite your teeth in, <laughs> I just wanted you to say three years. That'd so be right. That, that was good either way. <laughs> uh,
0: it's, it's fascinating, though, to hear you give that answer because obviously everybody who's listening to this knows the situation that you were in, how things you know unfolded after, after year four and how, how quickly things changed for you. But when they were at their peak, everybody knows about the 2010 season. And I think when we look back on this, You know, there are a lot of people who just want to say, you know, Cam Newton, Cam Newton, and that's what they're going to point out. But you guys developed this knack for winning close games that year, just an unprecedented knack for always finding a way at the end. And it wasn't all necessarily Cam Newton, get the key defensive stop when you needed to, whatever it was. Everything worked that year. When did you realize that that team was special
2: that season? Well, a couple things. Uh, I want to address a couple things, and then I'm going to – Here's what I tell people all the time, because, yes, everybody's going to point to Cam Newton, Cam Newton, Cam Num. That's like saying give all the credit at Alabama to all the first-round draft picks Nick has had and don't give him any credit.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right? It's, it ain't Nick. Yeah. It's all the draft picks, right? So right. that's that doesn't even make sense, because what people don't understand is that in a championship run that I experienced with Mac at Texas, and Mac's only won one his whole career, and I was there, okay? There are so many decisions that you have to make as a head coach to win a national championship that people have no clue, okay? It's not about the fact we had Vince Young. He had Vince Young for several years. Yeah. It's not the fact that we had Cam Newton. It wasn't the fact that Nick has all these first-round draft picks. It wasn't the fact that, you know, uh, Urban Meyer had Tim Tebow. Those are all factors in putting together a championship run. But what actually has to happen is that you have to make incredible decisions all year long. You have to make incredible decisions during the season. During football games, during halftime, you have to manage the clock. You have to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. You have to know when to pull your best players because you don't want them to get hurt. There are so many decisions nobody knows and understands. So this is not about a player. It's about a group of people, coaches and players, making incredible decisions like Dabo's done, like Nick's done like Urban's done. And you can see right now, there's not a lot of people walking around on the planet with national championships because they're not easy to come by. Ask Brian Kelly. (laughs) 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 Okay? You know what I mean? Now, back to your question, when did I know? I knew after when we played Clemson, we got down 17-0, guys. We came back and we put the game on Cam's shoulders, Because at that point, I thought Cam was really working in the right direction. But I thought in the second half, I told these guys at halftime, I said, we're going to ride this horse and we're going to see how far he can take us. Well, the bottom line is he dominated the second half. We come back and win. The next week, we're going into the South Carolina game. And I told Gus, we will run Cam 20-plus times a game because, A, they can't tackle him. B, (laughs) he's physical enough to handle it. And we'll be judicious, but we'll also count on him being a 1,000-yard rusher because he can do it. And then uh, what really became great watching him evolve was that he became a really, really efficient passer in, in our scheme and what we were doing. So, uh, But that's when I knew the team had a chance to be special. And then the day, the Sunday after we played LSU, that's when I felt like he won the Heisman. I had to call his parents in and his grandma and I had to have a meeting with him, and I said, your life is getting ready to change forever starting today. Yep. And that's a true story. That was a true meeting we had because I felt like at that point when he ran away from Patrick Peterson, I said, I think this dude may win, win the Heisman. So uh, that's when everything changed for him. Uh, and, and, of course, at that point I'd already figured out that you know this is going to be you know, uh, this will be maybe one of the best shots I ever had as a head coach to win a national championship because of the team we had. And it wasn't just Cam. There's a lot of really, really good teammates that weren't even NFL guys. They, I mean, our team that year made up, we had, I think, Cam, Nick Fairley, and one seventh-round draft pick. That's what we had on our team. We didn't have a bunch of first-rounders. Go back and look it up. We had a good bunch of good college Oh, I players. remember. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So.
1: Coach, I mean, I, I like you. I like you so much, and this—it just still hurts. It just still hurts. The 2010 year, I man. But yeah, I tell you what. I tell you what. It, it really is a testament, because it is. You taking me back to those games, and, and 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 we've talked about this before. I know in brief when we were in Charlotte, as I've been a diehard Bama fan for most of my life, and I remember that season because it was, to be honest, and and I think Bama fans are a lot like this nowadays. Is I was more consumed with what Auburn was doing than I was with my own team because I was I was like, wait, what is happening right now? And it, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, for me personally because I remember those first two games, but when I knew that Auburn was going to be a problem and I knew that Auburn was, this kid was going to win the Heisman and win the championship, was when y'all threw that damn pass to him in the corner of the end zone against Ole Miss and, he's, and he went up and got a jump ball at receiver. And I was like, oh God, what is happening? But, um, I, I, say, I say all of that to ask this question. And I'll just keep it short and simple. What in the hell did you say in that locker room at halftime of the Camback game?
2: Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, they did a thing. They did a thing on the SEC network about this, you know, just about the uh, the Iron Bowl rivalry. So we we scored before halftime. Thank God, um, or because I it, I think it was probably going to be thirty one. Nothing at one point if we don't strip that you know punch that ball out and it goes rolling into the end Ingram zone. Ingram fumbled for
1: thirty yards. Yeah,
2: yeah, we did that. And then we had a that, then we had a we had we had that turnover with Ingram. When they then we had a um, Nick had a sack fumble in the red zone on Greg mm-hmm. uh, before the half too. Anyway, we go in twenty four seven. We were getting the ball coming out, and um, you know I can't really on a podcast tell you exactly what I said to them because it's probably not <laughs> good. <laughs> probably not good listening for youngsters uh but it was um it was it was not pleasant but to be honest with you guys we played the worst half of football we'd played all year against a great team in a hostile place so you know one of my points was we couldn't play any worse and i said right when we go out we are going to score on the first possession and then this whole thing changes now was I telling myself that because I believed it, or because I was trying to talk myself into it? I'm not really sure, but anyway that's <laughs> that's what we said, and you know, lo and behold, we came out and we threw like a seventy yard touchdown strike to uh t zach uh yeah. like on the third play of the second half, and then that guy's I saw the whole demeanor of our football team change because at that point they were like, okay, this this we got this, this is no different than the other five or six times we've had to come behind and get walk-off field goals to win. I mean, we did it all at that point. You know, overtime wins, walk-off field goals to win. You know, we had been down so many times during the season that, you know, at that point they were like, okay, this is doable. And, uh, you know, the the rest is history, much to your chagrin, I'm sure.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, congrats, Coach. Congrats. (laughs) Uh,
2: So on
0: the surface, I think that some people look at the year that Auburn had in 2013, the magical year that they had. Uh, with Gus taking over coming off of your final year. And they say, well, that's why you make coaching changes. And not to necessarily take anything away from Gus, as you just brought up. You know, coaches make huge decisions that result in going to national championships, doing stuff like that. But it was so interesting talking to one of your former players, Jeff Whitaker, and he said, you know, you don't rebuild overnight. And he said, the average person has no idea what kind of foundation that 2013 team had because of, the, because of how bad the record was in 2012. But he said, you know, you guys had so much more stability than people realize. I know you don't have any regrets about the way that your life has turned out, but just how much do you think about what it would have been like if you could have gotten that extra year?
2: Yeah, I feel like, guys, well, I would have been in the same spot. I really do. Here's the thing that I knew. Different than when I took over Auburn. When I took over Auburn, the cupboard was bare. Meaning this, we didn't have a lot of NFL guys. Okay, and I look around this league at the LSUs and the Alabamas yeah. and everybody, and I look at, if you took over those jobs right now, think about how many NFL guys you would inherit. Right? right. If you took LSU or Alabama over, cause Nick retired last, next, you know, at the end of the season, How many NFL guys do you think you would inherit on that team? It would be a bunch, right? Well, When I came in here, I inherited, in four years, I inherited a seventh-round pick, a second-round pick, and a fifth-round pick in four years. That's what I inherited. And people don't know that. What I did is I went and had to rebuild everything from the ground up. I recruited, we recruited Cam, we recruited Nick. We recruited the D Fords of the world. We recruit So, the bottom line is yeah. is that we had to rebuild that thing because we had real, a one class of solid players. There was thirty in that class, not not NFL guys, but there were thirty in that class. After that, there was nothing. There was zero. Um, so, I had to rebuild it from the beginning. Well, in 2012, guys, the other thing people don't realize. I knew I had a phenomenal football team and I knew the cupboards were absolutely stacked from the Greg Robinsons to the second, he was the second pick of the draft to the Trey Masons. I mean, I can go down the list of all the draft picks, but what I didn't have was a great college quarterback. That's what I needed. And so that's what we were short on. And that's the only thing we were short on. The other thing people won't remember was that, I had a a recruiting class that was going to be the best we ever had, and they every single one of them guys, not one of them decommitted to me through the Alabama game. They were all in. Right. Ruben Foster decommitted the day after I left and went to Alabama. Um, You know, he's a first round draft pick. Um, You know, uh, we had a, a linebacker that decommitted after I got let go. He goes to Florida. He becomes a first rounder. I had that thing stacked for the future. And I felt like if I could hold on one more year, there was a couple of subtle changes that I needed to make because we never lost that team. I don't, give a, I don't care who wrote what. Those dudes were solid with me all the way through. And they're going to look at the Alabama game and go, I ah, got beat, you know, 40 to whatever it was. It's nothing. And I'm going to say that's true. And the whole while, we didn't lose one guy. Not one. And that's how I felt like they played for me. And uh you know, so the bottom line is is that it's a production business, right? We didn't produce and I got let go. But I knew and you can have you if you called up Gus tomorrow, he will tell you he walked into the cupboards full. Period. And he knows Love it. it. So, you yes. know wow. and I and I knew and I knew the cupboards were full because we did our job. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to carry it on, but that's that's the way life is, right? We're, you know, hey, we're all big boys when we sign up for it. We know we know the goods and the bads, right? And I had to experience. I haven't experienced a lot of bad in my coaching career, but that was one of the hard things that I had to endure.
1: I'm, I'm ready to like paint paint poster boards right now and just go march outside of Auburn and be like. Higher chiz, higher chiz! Like bring him back. Um, so you talked about one thing about the covers being bare, which is a perfect segue. I, I just can't thank you enough for that. I worked in a restaurant for ten years. We're gonna we're gonna switch away from football because I just I'm obviously I've learned I'm not emotionally healed from 2010. But I I worked in a restaurant for tw- for ten years. I have a two part question here. What's the worst? Re- what's your one restaurant horror story? I know you're a positive guy, but what's like your one restaurant horror story? And then two. What advice do you have for people that kind of are stuck in a job they don't want and, and, and you know want to go chase their dreams but haven't haven't had the courage to do it yet?
2: Yeah. So one restaurant horror story was I took my daughters out to a Mexican restaurant one time and we were eating and my daughter is her she's putting her fork into her, I don't know what it was, taco bowl, maybe. And right. she hits something hard and she's like, What? And she she pulls out a nasty lid to one of the sauces or something that was like at the bottom of the bowl, like people just poured the food on top of a some nasty lid that was, you know, that was back in the kitchen and we pulled it out and like, I'm thinking the dude's going to comp our meal or something, you know? And he was just like, Oh man, I'm really sorry. You know, that was it hey restaurant owners <laughs> don't don't ever do that note to sell yeah. give them free something for a year whatever if Everything, they'll even yeah. come back Wow. so so that's my uh yeah that that happened recently that's why you said that that was on my mind but anyway okay. uh you know the thing is guys is, is you know that's one thing that you know, my wife and I talk about, and you know, my daughters and I, they're getting ready to get out in the job world. They're 22. They're going to graduate from Auburn soon. They're twins, by the way. That's why I said they're 22 in case you're wondering. Um, but we, we talk a lot about trying to get, you know, get into something that's going to make you happy because here's what I've found out over the years. Um, you know, everybody wants these great jobs that pay a lot of money. Right. And you know, Yes, they're out there, but you, you have to define great because w- what does that look like? See, to me, for me, a great job means you doing something that makes you happy. And I don't care if it pays you X amount of money or a ton of money. You know, it's about you going to work every day and being happy because you spend the lion's share of your life working. And I think people are afraid to really go out there and, you know, drop the anchor on what they perceive to be a really horrible work life and take a chance on something that they really, really want to do. I had a conversation with a guy the other day. He was kind of, you know, I was kind of doing a little Dr. Phil on him, you know, and he was like, man, I hate my job. <laughs> and I really," want, He said, I really want to get into the radio broadcast and I really, you know, I re- that's what I want to do. And so I said, well, look, I'll set you up with a couple of friends of mine. You can go do a couple of shows. And you know, and but he was afraid to, you know, kind of drop the anchor and, and try to, you know, set a new direction. And like I told him, I said, you know, you you can't live on your fears of doing things. You know, you have to go out there and 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 try to, you know, pursue something that's going to make you happier. You're going to always regret the fact that you never tried it. You know, and I know that's easy to say, and it's probably circumstantial. If you got three kids to feed, you're not going to walk away from your dro- job with three kids and a wife. And that's not what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting that you figure out a way that you can try to, you know, work yourself in that direction slowly, but surely, uh, and take that chance and take that risk, you know, because if not, you're going to, you know, you're going to regret it. And here's the guy guys, you know, I've made money and here's what I found out. Money does not make you happy. Like I know a lot of rich dudes that are got a lot of money. And they're miserable. And guess what? A lot of them are coaches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, they are. A lot yeah. of them are coaches. You know, get, having money just gives you options. It doesn't give you happiness. That's it. And, you know, so it's not about how much the job pays you. It's not about It's how much passion do you have where you can get up every day and feel like your job is not a job. You guys look like you have a blast doing what you're doing. <laughs> I mean, do you not? I mean, that's what y'all I mean, look I love like. it. This
1: is the happiest I've ever been. <laughs>
2: exactly. And, you know, and you guys had to go and, and figure out a way to get this done, you know, and one of you's in the restaurant business. I mean, you know, so at some point you had to say, man, that's not what I want. That's not. And, and think about it, guys. How, how great is it that you get up every day to do what you love to do, man? I mean, you know, regardless of what you make, do you make enough to be happy can you can you have a roof over your head? Can you drive that car? Can you, you know, can you put food on the table? I mean, you know, can you take care of yourself? And then you know what? Here's the thing. If you do something you really love, then you've got a really great opportunity to be outstanding in your field of choice. If you're going to work every day and you're miserable, more than likely you're not going to be great at what you do because you don't care enough about it to do it. You only care enough to bring that paycheck home every week, and that's it. And that's a bad way to be in. So,
0: Gee, here's my. Two I think cents. you. Uh, I, I think you got a future in this uh, motivational speaking I, thing. I, I, I keep stop be smiling. Okay. <laughs> I think you're going to be okay. <laughs>
1: this is awesome.
0: Gosh. Um, <laughs> Just switching gears a little bit, you know, this is Iron Bowl week, and you know we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about this this game this year. You as somebody who has experienced both sides of this rivalry, just you know the the winning side and knowing what that win can do for your program, and obviously the the losing side of it and the ramifications of 2012. You're so good at breaking down teams and figuring out a matchup before it even starts. What do you expect Auburn to do defensively against an Alabama offense that doesn't have Tua? But it still really hasn't been stopped yet.
2: No, it hasn't, and and I feel sure Kevin Steele's going to make the quarterback beat them. Um, I think that you're going to see a defense that's going to stack. You know, I think Kevin will stack the line of scrimmage and and make it very difficult to run on. They're hard, they're hard to run on anyway. And then I think you're going to see guys playing a lot of press coverage, a lot of taking. You know, if you take all those. You know, Alabama this year is built on what I call rack yards, R-A-C yards, right? That's run after catch. So if you can eliminate or at least uh, limit, I don't know that you can eliminate it altogether, but if you can limit those run those run yards after the catch, then you've essentially eliminated half of Alabama's offense. So I think you're going to see, you know, the, the DBs at Auburn, uh, come up and check these guys uh, in terms of playing in their face, not giving them a lot of cushion, not giving them a lot of uh, grounds to, you know, catch the ball um, and and get a lot of yardage after the catch. I think you'll see him mix in a little bit of zone and a little bit of man because you can't. The downside to playing all that press man coverage on these guys trying to take those things away is that if they do catch it and the ball breaks, everybody else's back is to the ball because they're all in man coverage and you only have very limited numbers of of individuals that can bring the ball down. You mix in a healthy zone of uh, healthy uh, uh, zone coverage with it, a healthy dose of zone coverage. Then you have an opportunity to, you know, bring those balls down, multiple eyes on the ball. So just without trying to get too far, get you guys too far in the weeds, we have two types of coverage as we play vision coverage, which is essentially zone coverages where your eyes are on the ball and your and the ball takes you to the man. And then you have man coverage, where now the man is the issue and the man takes you to the ball. And those are the two ways that I literally break it down to defenses. Are we in man coverage or are we in vision coverage? And there's advantages and disadvantages to both, but this is one thing that Kevin can't do is just let these guys free release off the line of scrimmage at will and catch these balls and make one guy miss, and he's standing in the end zone 60 yards later. So mm-hmm. he's going to play a, a dose of both, uh, but I can assure you he's going to make Mac Jones have to beat him.
1: All right, yeah, Coach Steele is a great defensive coordinator, blah, blah, blah. I've got a more important <laughs> question here, Coach. Very, here. very important question. We, we asked this to Peter Burns last week, and now I've got to ask you, hypothetically – You're starting a coaching staff, and you have to choose only SEC Network personalities and, this cannot be stressed enough, and me and Connor. Who gets what role? And and before you answer, I just want to be very clear that that PB put me in charge of mascot relations, and I would very much like to be in a different role (laughs) than that. So go ahead.
2: Okay, well, here's the deal. Both of you guys are going to be co-communication directors, okay? I'm going to put you guys in charge... Of making sure that the media doesn't shred me, okay? Yeah. So, you. got you. You guys, you guys are in charge of reading every article, listening to every podcast. How Gene Chizik is the village idiot, and then we're going to come up with a plan on how to fort that. Okay, so we're going to be okay. ahead of the curve on the PR part. So y'all, you guys are co PR guys. You good with that?
1: Yeah, and very much so.
2: You're going to have the relationship with the media. You guys are the ones that are gonna get our we're gonna create the negative or the narrative with you two. You two got my back on creating our narrative, whether we win or lose. Love it. Got me? Can okay, y'all do that? We'll
0: take care of that. Yep.
2: Okay, so you guys got all that. And then um Peter Burns is gonna have to be an equipment manager. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> coach. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah, PB, and I'm not even talking the head guy. I'm talking assistant. Okay, like he's going to take orders from the head guy. All right. Okay. Um, Doring, Doring could be, Doring could be my wide receiver coach, um, but you know I'm a little hesitant with that because I don't really know what he's going to do when he goes out on the recruiting trail. Okay, I'm not really That's sure. A good
1: point. That's a very yeah. good point.
2: You know, unless I can put one of those trackers on him so I know where he's at all the time. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> let's see. Dari, uh, Dari could be the assistant to the head coach. Dari's got great advice, man. Like, Dari,
1: yeah.
2: Dari's got a level head. And I have to get on Dari every once in a while in the studio when he watches Oklahoma play because he turns into a total fan. I mean, total fan. And what I mean by that is when they're great, he loves everybody everybody's awesome. He loves this player. He loves that player. And then when this player screws up, oh, he stinks. We need to fire him. Put in the next guy. I said, Dari, come on, dude. Like, <laughs> that's a straight fandom. I mean, so sometimes I got to get Dari out of that, but he can be the assistant to the head coach. Um, and then we got a couple guys behind the scenes, y'all. Just some couple of our directors. I mean, I could put them in some good analytic spots. You know what I mean? Like oh, every, yeah. every, every Sunday morning, I need analytics, deep dives. Like, you guys have been like watching that. the ESPN, and you see this thing where they go, where, where did this guy come up with the fact that, you know, every three and a half plays, Johnny gains 6.3 yards off tackle when he right. is in his own, uh, you know, 20-yard line and below. I mean, where do they get all this right. stuff, right? So I need, I need some of those analytic guys to help me out. Marcus Spears... I need him to recruit Louisiana. That's what I need. Big Marcus yeah. to recruit Hell yeah. Louisiana. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs>
0: yeah. And
2: then and then G Mac uh, McElroy McElroy could be my quarterback coach. He you know he comes from a football background. You know um, I think he understands where blitzes come from because we knocked him out of the Iron Bowl. Oh, cold.
1: That is so cold. <laughs> it is cold.
2: He, he understands the blitz game, right? You know.
1: Um, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah,
2: so good. <laughs> so, you know. Um anyway, yeah, I I got I got some pretty good places for those guys. I love it. Oh, and then I, love it. I right. can get oh, a I Lord. can I can get Alyssa Lang uh or I or I'll get Laura. They can be my recruiting directors for sure. Yeah. Boom. Director yeah, PB of P recru- had Laura
0: as P V had Laura as the A D, just running stuff, just setting up matchups and making big time decisions. I could see I can see either of those roles. These are all very, very good and well thought out. I look forward to these, these, these future changes here. Um, uh, so <laughs> we got there one last have. question before we get you out on two minute drill here. Um, and you've been so gracious with your time. Yeah, thank you. Everybody wants to know how Georgia and LSU are going to match up in this contrast, old school versus new school. You're a defensive guy, so I got to imagine you've liked what you've seen so far from the Georgia defense. Can Georgia not only beat LSU, but can they win a national title playing this style?
2: Uh, I think Georgia can beat LSU. Uh, I think it's going to be they're going to have to have the best game of execution they've had all year. And, And here's why. Defensively, I think Georgia's playing great team defense. Great team defense. They'll go back and watch the Auburn game and figure out how Auburn held them to 23 points. Because if you can hold them under 30, you got a shot. Okay. Yeah. The problem is, is the way George is winning games right now. And I said this on TV the other night. They've got to figure out a way to score points, guys. And I get it on the let's pound them, pound them, run the ball, play great defense. Love the recipe. I hear you. But when you, when you're talking about, taking Georgia into a national picture with four teams, you're looking at potentially Ohio state, right? Well, the difference in Georgia and Ohio state is Ohio state's playing great team defense as well. They also have a offense that scores 51 points a game. Right. Okay. So you're looking at, let's say Clemson, you're looking at great team defense as well. Right. But they're scoring 47 a game. You're looking at, uh, you know, whoever whoever ends up being the other team in this deal, right? So uh, they're, they're, everybody right now is scoring a ton of points. And so, you know, this is where I think Georgia is going to struggle a little bit if they can't open this thing up a little bit and and score some more points because every defense they're going to play is really, really good. and But, the, you know, the recipe right now is for teams on championship runs is, is scoring a lot of points. And so Georgia can beat LSU, but, you know, again, on it, for Georgia to make a run all the way through this, the SEC championship, and make it through the college football playoffs, uh, I think they're going to have to really, really look and examine offensively what they're doing and figure out a way. Look, they got a first rounder at quarterback. They got some first rounders on the offensive line. They got maybe the best tailback in college football. If not, he's one of the top two or three. And they've got to be able to, you know, they've got to be able to, to, you know, get those guys in space and, and get the ball to them and score points. The wide receivers, although they're young, they're very talented and they're not young anymore. They played in, you know, twelve, you know, eleven games. So, I think the the SEC championship game is going to be a great matchup, uh, but it will, uh, it's it's definitely going to require Georgia to score more more points than they've been scoring, in my opinion.
1: All right. I love it. We're going to get you out of here with one last thing, Coach. It's is our tradition we do here uh, on, on the podcast. It's called Two Minute Drill. It's a rapid fire. It is it is the first thing that comes to your mind. It's just quick, rapid fire questions. we got 10 of them, and we're going to set the clock at two minutes. Are you ready?
2: Well, let's do it, man.
1: All right. Here we go. First question. Connor. you got the clock?
0: Yeah, I can do it. I, I got it. Let's start it right okay.
2: now.
1: First question. If you were a character on The Office, who would you be?
2: If I was a character, what? On The Office, the TV show. Oh, on The Office? I don't ever watch The Office. I, I don't know. I can't tell you on that. <sighs> All right, Sorry. game's
1: over. We quit. That's it. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, Coach, you got to watch. I, I, you don't seem like a guy that gets a lot of time to watch TV, but we got to make time for this one this offseason, hopefully. Second question, bucket list concert.
2: Um, Elton John.
1: Ooh, oh, okay. That's good. Just watch that movie. That's a very good movie. That's uh, that's nice. I like that. Third question, go-to gas station road trip snack.
2: Gas station road trips. What does that mean?
1: Like, if you're on a road trip, what's your go-to gas station snack? Like, mine's barbecue sunflower seeds.
2: Oh, snack. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Hot dogs from Quick Trip you kidding me?
1: You <laughs> got so excited about that. I love it. Oh, All right. God. Oh, absolutely. With the
2: relish and the onions. Oh, yeah. Hot, hot, a, a hot dog from Quick Trip. Absolutely.
1: Connor hates hot dogs. He's a communist. So that's good. I like that answer, Coach. Good. <laughs> Connor, that is um, not I, good. Go ahead. No, I, they're just you. not efficient. They're just not
0: efficient. I think there's Connor, no efficient the foods out there. All right. My bad. Sorry. Go ahead. Fourth <laughs> question.
1: Go to date night restaurant.
2: Um... Boy, yeah, Papados, 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 Papados. Okay, there I like Papados.
1: There you go. Cool. Yeah, um, describe Auburn kicking in one word.
2: Auburn kicking.
1: Yeah, just the kicking game.
2: Um. Inconsistent.
1: Oh, they Ooh. won you a national championship, Coach. I don't know, hate to see what the next the next one's going to be. Describe Alabama kicking in one
2: word. Oh boy, yeah debacle (laughs) (laughs) there
1: you go all right that's good um okay we got four more here besides you who has the best hair and is the best dresser on the sec network
2: there's nobody but me guys are you kidding me no i'm kidding yes Um, amen no uh i'd have to say um it'd have to be Doring. i that's that pains me but probably Doring. i know yeah I can so hear I'm it in your voice.
1: You just—I can hear CD's head getting even bigger. Just—I mean, yeah, because I, I don't him. want
2: him to. I don't want him to hear that. You know, that's the yeah, thing, but yeah, I'd have to say we'll, it. we'll, we'll let that out. That out.
1: Yeah, <laughs> we got you that. All right, we got three left here. Could this is and this is honestly we've done a lot of joking. I'm I'm only half joking about this. Could you beat Coach O in arm wrestling? No. Okay. All right. It's mm. well, fair. I pay. I pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, honestly, I would I would watch that way over the Dante wild, Wilder fight from the other night. I would definitely pay to see that on pay per view. Um, two more go to workout pump up song now and back in the day because coach, I've seen the pics. You shirtless, just flexing for the camera. Probably like a disposable camera here. What what was the pump up song you listened to then, and what's the one you listen to now?
2: Oh my goodness, um, boy, that's a a
1: good.
2: That's that's a good one. Um, oh boy, guys, that. Uh boy, can I look at my? I can't look at my playlist, can I? <laughs> A little Rocky, yeah. Tell, yeah, it's fine.
0: yeah we, little so No we... Easy Way Out. We got um. This is all oh, Rocky
1: soundtrack, Connor.
0: Yeah, it is. Sorry, I'll stop.
2: <laughs> okay, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll tell you what I'll do. I, if I, if if you'll let me, if you'll let me, just give one one good one for you on that. I'm going to get it to you. You ready? I yeah, got yeah, it. it okay, we're going to uh-huh. set fire to the rain. Yes, from Adele. 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 Yes. What? God, wow! Coach.
1: God, you become my favorite coach more and more every day. Don't tell Coach Saban. I said that. Moving on. <laughs> last question. God, that's a good answer. Fire to the right. Here we go. Um, all right. Last question. This is this is a big one. Give me a, give yes. me a prediction for the Iron Bowl, and don't hurt me.
2: Prediction for the Iron Bowl. I'm gonna go with. Um, I'm gonna go Auburn. 23
1: alabama 20 wow well, uh, we, you know coach there are 10 questions on there that the middle eight were your strong suit you killed it in those middle <laughs> eight that first and last one not my favorites but we're going to add these I know up That that's, that's that's 169 points that's a good round coach that's wow. a good that's a good round <laughs> <Goodness>. <laughs> i know one you know know that, man we appreciate painful, coach. it yeah that was, that was tough <laughs> Gene, sorry, we, we appreciate
0: you coming on um we're, we're looking forward to hopefully getting a chat with you sometime soon maybe uh maybe we'll get a chance to, to cross paths in atlanta whatever you have in store we uh we are your biggest fans we're going to be rooting for you at, at every turn and uh wish you nothing but success going forward man
2: hey guys well let me tell you something it's, it's been a an awesome time meeting you guys and i can't uh I can't thank you enough for the time you spent, and thank you for the article, and uh, man, I just appreciated a bunch. You guys are great. Appreciate Thanks, that Coach.
0: so much, seriously. Coach, uh, you have a good rest of your day, and we will we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll chat real soon.
2: You Home got it, guys. Coach. Enjoy yourself. <laughs> <All> See you. <ya. laughs> Take man. care.
0: Appreciate our guy, the man, the myth, the legend, Gene Chizik, for joining us, giving us so much of his time. That was so, so much fun, and a much better... <laughs> By the way, he did a much better job than Peter Burns did of coming up with a staff that included us on it. I'm uh, on board. I'm on board. You no, know,
1: honestly, I don't know what I would have expected. Honestly, though, out of a, an assistant equipment manager from Peter Burns, I should never put that much stock into it. So, yeah, I, I appreciate that, Gene. Coach, uh, Coach Chisick is the best, man. That was great.
0: He is the best, and I hope that everybody got to see just just why we've been gushing about this guy for the last couple months here. But let's talk some nonsense. It's time for Fourth and Wrong.
1: Yeah, let's let's close out strong and, and get you guys out of here because hopefully you all had long drives. But anyway, let's go to fourth and wrong. Uh, we will start with Will Keithler, somebody that I've had a lot of odds with lately in the Facebook group. Yeah, oh, we'll boy. talk about it. Will, we'll ta- no, me and Will, he's he's a great dude. He's a big LSU fan. Um, we've been joking around a lot. Anyway, he says, "What's the best seasonal cocktail?"
0: You know, this question is obviously geared more towards your background <laughs> and e- area of expertise for sure. But, I, I mean, in, in my house, we do a lot of, like, the Kahlua and milk type thing. I know that's going to get ripped. I know I know it's considered gross, but on ice, tastes it like, tastes like chocolate milk or something like that. I think it's really good. Um, An old-fashioned that you just add, like, a dash of cinnamon to or something Ooh. or do a little, little rum instead to kind of warm you up in a little bit of a different kind of way. Um, I'd say those are probably like the, the two best. I don't really get into a ton of seasonal cocktails as much, uh, like start drinking darker beer or something like that. That's not a seasonal cocktail. I realized that, but my drinking doesn't change that much because I I live in Orlando.
1: Yeah. And you don't drink that much, which is good. Um, I'll say for me, uh, it's just bourbon. It's just bourbon. I, I, when it gets cold, it's just, just bourbon. I I love me some bourbon. Um, old fashioned with some cinnamon is a good idea. Like you said, I'll say, I don't like eggnog, because eggnog seems like it was invented by a homeless person. It's just like curdled milk and then bourbon they put into like a, yep. a cardboard jug, which I don't get. Um, so I'll say, I'll say bourbon for me, and then I do like be a good wintery beer. Some nutmeg and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, second question from Michael Simmons. Okay, so you're an alien from another planet that just landed on Earth. What's the weirdest tradition custom habit that you notice humans observing that would make no sense from that perspective?
0: I'm going to go with flying, uh, not flying planes, but the fact that we get into planes willingly and decide let's just fly them across the country. We're just going to trust this pilot with our lives and we're going to go from coast to coast in this thing that's 30,000 feet in the air. I think if we kind of stepped back and looked at that, I-, I think we would be like, whoa, that's that's wild. Humans just do this all the time, all day, every day. I'm amazed. In
1: this, in this scenario, you are an alien. They just flew from another planet.
0: No, nah, it doesn't... Oh, okay. <laughs> I guess. I, I was thinking more of like you were dropped down on Earth, like you were just like all of a sudden there. I wasn't taking that into yeah. account. Probably are. When you put it like that, that makes it sound really stupid.
1: Um, I'd say the Macarena is one. I don't get that. That don't make no sense. Um, I get
0: it. Child yeah. of the 90s, I remember.
1: Okay. Um. I, <clears throat> people that eat bologna that's a weird one for me oh
0: that's good yeah
1: yeah um the restaurants in general like I, it's, it's it's a weird thing because it's like hold on you can you can be in charge of your own food source or like and get your own food for yourself you can make your own food you can grow your own food i feel like an alien would come down and be like hold on so they're going to buy their own food first off and then they're going out to other places and having people make the food for them like kings that doesn't make any sense to me i feel like that would be the weirdest thing that people would that in the internet People yeah, the internet's got to be—that's
0: got to be really, really up yeah. there. Like you mean to tell me? Oh, and the, like the fact that people react, people watch, people who watch people play video games. Video now? games? Yeah. yeah. Like, I'll say another one.
1: I'll say it. It's just gonna be inappropriate. We'll blank part of it out. I think even if you're an alien, you would say people that send blank pics are are just that. It, it can't be. It, it, why do people think that's a good idea? I'll just throw that out there. All right, moving on. Don't, don't never been too a good up. idea. Okay, no. Um, so this is from Mitch Stevens. He said, "Worst Christmas present you've ever gotten," but I, I threw in best and worst.
0: Okay, worst, and I—I I feel like I've said this before. Um, I'm a big avocado guy. You, you know this. You know this is true. Yeah. But my aunt, who is so good—not—not not the crazy <laughs> aunt. Not—not not, no no no, not that aunt. <laughs> not that aunt. A very different aunt. Other side of the family aunt. My mom's one of twelve. My dad was one of eight. We've got a huge wow. huge family. Yeah, a lot of a big old Irish family. So one of my aunts who usually gets practical gifts so well and she is is so good at just getting that one thing that you need that you never think you need but you're like two years later i'm still using this all the time she one year got us an avocado masher now in theory that'd be a great idea she's trying to appeal to the millennials all that whatever appeal nice yeah i see what she's there um This thing is freaking huge. You can't use it on anything. It just—it doesn't fit in a drawer. I literally could not use it. I don't even know if I could travel with it. This thing was so big that the only way you could possibly use it is if you had like eight or nine avocados worth of of guac that you were mashing up or something like that. I don't know why I was making it such such large quantities. I think that it was just ridiculous. Great idea in theory, and as somebody who has avocados every day awesome but there was just no practical use for it whatsoever so i'm gonna miss on that best gift best gift probably back in the day getting video game getting like video games when you're like nine years old and you get the new madden or whatever it is and i remember getting that and just going down to the basement with my brother and playing it for the next seven hours not even going to Watch my parents open their presents, but Ooh, being wow. so excited that we got excused to go downstairs and start playing Madden. That that's yeah. like back in the day. That's it's tough to be. If I'm going like adult Connor, my wife got me a pair of Ray Bans six years ago that I absolutely love, and I wear the crap out of them. You haven't and, lost them? No, never.
1: Oh wow, that's impressive. Um, so I was too poor growing up for video game systems. I that was a big thing with my mom. I was still bringing up to her. Um, it seemed like everybody had them. So for me, it was a Nerf bow and arrows, best gift I ever got. Ooh,
0: that's good. Yeah,
1: and I tell I tell this joke on stage, not with this exact gift, but I tell this joke still. Is that growing up poor was it builds character for sure. What What the worst part is, it's not growing up poor. It's when you grow up poor and then your parents come into money and they earn money and, and all this other stuff and work their you know asses off to to make that life for you, and then they still have the mindset that they're poor. Ooh. So when, when I was when I was in college, I had this broken beat down computer that was like five years old and and i was in college for too long so maybe that's why they didn't give me a good computer but i remember asking for a new computer my mom was like you're right we'll get you a new computer you know it'll be your christmas present this year and we always had in for christmas for whatever reason i brought up on the pod before we had a 200 limit tops mm-hmm. like so it's like you can get you can go pick out your gifts but there's gonna be a 200 limit that's how i ended up with the stupid creed tickets um <laughs> but like but like or or it's like you, you get like like, you can pick them out or you can you can tell them, but you're only getting a $200 limit no matter what. So for Christmas one year, I got I got a, a computer. I remember, like, I knew I was getting the computer. And I kept opening up stuff. This is, like, when I was, like, 21 or 22. And I'm opening up other stuff, and I'm like, man, I got a lot of different stuff. And it wasn't, like, crazy. It was, like, slippers and other, you know, clothes. and But it was, like, how much money do they spent on this computer? This is, like, a really expensive Christmas this year. And I open up this damn present, and it was called an EEEPC. That sounds Eat, terrible. It was the worst. You couldn't. You couldn't get Google. You, you, you had to use all the things through their own. It, like you had to use their own search engine. You had to use like everything. There was no. There was no Microsoft Word. You couldn't download any of it. It wasn't compatible. It it, it was a mini computer. It looked like the size of like a big Game Boy or like a, a like a Sidekicks like like phone or whatever. It was the worst. The screen was like. Six and a half, seven inches wide, like tops. It was, it was absolutely awful. The small keyboard. It was hands down the worst gift I've ever gotten. How was, many years did you, did you have to use? I that? stopped using it. I stopped using it, and, and like I, I forgot what I did. I either went to the library, or used my friend's computers because it was, it was the worst. You couldn't use Google. Goodness gracious. Um, okay, fourth question. This is a good one from Dakota Carter. Uh, actually, you know what? This is the last one because we had one from Jay Woody. Um, we already went over it. So, what are you thankful for? Um,
0: oh we did that at the top
1: so, yeah, so we already got that. to it I do want to say very quickly very thankful for Jay Woody it's his birthday today happy um, birthday Wednesday, Jay the yeah so happy birthday Jay uh, you, you are one of my favorite people in the world he taught me square footage he taught me how to learn square foot math ooh yeah, alright teach He's me one day um, alright your fourth and final question from Dakota Carter the UAB Blazer Chris what's your favorite joke you've ever written that's podcast appropriate Connor what's your favorite article you've ever written
0: Favorite article I've ever written was uh, I, I did a story on Sam – the untold story of Sam Fultz, who is the late Nebraska punter, a story that I did a little over two years ago um, wherein, you know, because of the time that I spent in central Nebraska, I had developed some good relationships with a couple, with, uh, a couple of people that he knew and was able to um, kind of tap into that. And I had one guy like – you know, Spencer Lindsay, who was the former... He was a kicker at Nebraska while Sam Fultz was there. He was his college roommate. And I called him up, and, you know, I was getting ready to write, like, a Sam Fultz, uh, like, you know, um, Sam Fultz one-year anniversary death-type story. All this stuff has been written about a ton in Nebraska. Yeah. Like, a ton. Like, beaten to death. Nebraska, like, kind of did, like, marketing campaigns with it. And that was, a like, a big sticking point. His best friends were apparently completely overlooked in this whole process. Meanwhile, right. you have, like, people... like people who didn't really know Sam Fultz that came out and were like, you know, using death to kind of like show their sympathy and whatever. And basically like I told the story of his best friends and it was fascinating. Like the, the perspective that I was able to get from these four guys who just knew him and loved him in a way that, uh, you just didn't hear about and it was something that i was really proud of and you know fortunately like it got you know it, I, I was glad that it got a lot of play on social media yeah. but kind of told like a good lesson about the way that people treat death sometimes some people that post you know statuses about in facebook about you know people that dying they're just doing it to get likes and retweets and stuff like yeah. that and
1: smoky robinson i can't believe smoky robinson died. yeah thanks Smoke ryan man. <laughs>
0: Uh, it, so it just, it, it provided a lot of perspective and it was something that I had to handle very delicately, but it yeah. was something that I was proud of the way that it turned out. If you have any interest in reading it, um, search, search you know, my Twitter handle and search Sam Fultz and it'll it'll show up there.
1: God, in hindsight, I really wish that I would have gone first.
2: Yeah, I went a different direction,
1: <laughs> Follow that. Um, all right, so my favorite, my favorite appropriate joke for for the podcast and it's barely appropriate. This is the joke that got me kicked out of the punchline for quite some time because of a story that happened afterwards. But there was this joke I wrote and I wrote it. And it was honestly really smart the way I set it up because I wrote it as a divisive joke to split the room and then bring everyone back together. And it was like oh, okay. actually what like when I was like really first started doing comedy and I was doing it well to where I had like time to devote to it where I was, I was able to like, you know, kind of study all these like different kind of techniques that like famous comedians have done. And this was one of the things that I, I really learned from, which was like, Setting something up early in the story or in, in your set to then the bring call back. everyone back together. Well, not to the callback, but to bring everyone back together. So like okay. dividing telling a joke that's not for everyone on purpose, that some people are gonna love and that you know also people are gonna also dislike, but then to bring everyone back together like right afterwards, it's it's a really it was a great, great move at the time. And at the time I was also I was in my twenties and I was unhappy and I was jaded about everything and growing up with a single mom and 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 I was working in Buckhead, and so I saw this all the time. It was a joke about single moms. And the reason why this is my favorite joke now is because that's basically what I've become is is like a single single dad stay or not, sorry that's not single mom stay at home dad with okay. K-So and like working from home all kind of stuff. But I did this joke about stay at home moms. I don't want anyone to get offended because at the time, it it makes more sense. It made more sense at the time, but in Buckhead especially. I used to say this joke about like how stay-at-home mom seems like a dream job. I this woman Stay, rated, home dad, stay at home dad. Stay-at-home dad. Either way, I was a stay-at-home mom for the okay. joke, but I said, I said, I was like, you know, this woman told me flat out this happened at a Whole Foods, and she was like, What do you do for a living? And I was like, I bartended, I underachieve. And she said, um, I was like, what about you? She said, off the bat, she said, I have the hardest job in the world. I'm a stay-at-home mom. And I was like, blank you, like that's that's a dream job. And I was like, What do you, like, what do you do all day? You wake up you put on all Nike Dry Fit clothes. Now it'd be Lululemon, but you put on all Nike Dry Fit clothes. You you take the kids to school. You go work out, and you just come home and try not to drink before noon or whenever Ellen comes on. Like that's it. That's your whole job. And I said, stay-at-home moms are like sand dollars. They're pretty to look at, but they're completely useless. Whoa! And so, and that's the Holy that's the response cow. it gets. And then I, I I at the end I bring everyone back, and I you know, with an even more inappropriate joke, but everyone still loves it, and it comes back, so I would say that, and this, <laughs> this woman got so mad one time, and I was a pretty crass comedian, especially early on, this woman got so mad, and she's like, that's not true, not funny, and she's in the back, right, and so I'm making this joke, and I, guys, and I don't want anyone to think that I'm, I'm condoning this, this is just, I'm telling you the story of what happened when Chris was 26, okay, this is just who I was at the time, and I said, I said, this woman's like, boo, not true, not true. this is like Friday night, the punchline sold out 300 plus people. And I was like, what was that? And she's in the back and I love hecklers. Love it. And she goes, boo, not funny, not true. And I said, well, if you had two incomes, you'd have better seats. Oh, gosh. And and then said something afterwards and the whole place erupted, like erupted. It, It went over. It was, it was great. And then ended up being the owner's sister that's why I didn't perform oh, the punchline for quite some time but yeah that, yeah that was my favorite joke of the time and it was, and now it's my favorite joke again because it's funny because now that's what I do I, I, I'm a stay at home dad
0: your stay at home dad who just lives on the internet Nobody. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's it man and love Ellen and I love Chardonnay so there you go
0: nothing wrong with that alright it's rivalry week say that ten times fast instead of it might mean too much it's it might not mean enough you probably know what direction I'm going with this based on that this is uh, something Jawan Jennings said via West Rucker. Of course, the Jawan Jennings, the Tennessee receiver, who he was asked if he was tired of going home to Nashville and hearing people talk about Tennessee losing to Vandy. And the quote from Jennings was this. I don't really hear about it too much. I don't re- really hear people talking about Vanderbilt at all, honestly. And that tells you everything you need to know i'm sorry vandy fans you're out there i know that there's one or two of you that are listening to this that are just dealing with a really difficult time right now you have a lot to be thankful for life could be a whole lot worse i think probably from a football perspective or a basketball perspective i don't know but it probably could be look for the positive in life um share all of your great rivalry week stories hashtag it might mean too much this week i would love to be able to write about all of these um make sure that if you have not yet Join our Facebook group. And hey, while you're at it, before you even do that, go sign up for tickets to our live event. Buy your tickets right now. It's going to be awesome. No. We talked about it at the top of the show. It's going to be at the College Football Hall of Fame. We're going to have an absolute blast there. Come spend the Friday night before the SEC Championship with us. It is going to be one heck of a night. Marler, are we doing Facebook Live before Rivalry Week?
1: Yeah, Saturday morning, get up. I'm going to be all even more fired up than I am today. You were very fired up today. I know I was, man. I noticed. I loved that.
0: it. If you're working on Friday, I'm hoping that this is gonna tide you over this extra long pod that we've got for y'all. I, <laughs> I I really hope it kind of gets you through because working that Friday after Thanksgiving is a little bit rough if you gotta do it. We're watching we're watching football. We're working technically, but you know, I, I realize for people that are going back to their their nine to five job, whatever it is, it's a bit of a grind. But hey. Yeah. It's here. It's a great stretch of football. Hope everybody gets to enjoy it. Make sure you follow us on all forms of social media, at the SDS pod, at Vern Funquist, at CJ O'Gara. Follow us on Instagram at Saturday Down South. Make sure that you are watching Marlar on Facebook Live. Make sure you give us a little five-star review. Thank you to everybody who's given us five-star reviews. We're eventually going to get around to all yeah. those. I promise it'll take a little bit of time, but we will gladly do that. Marlar, Coach O, Matt Luke. and I'm going to say it for my
1: own voice, man. I love you guys. Have a happy, happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy being time with your family, or spending time with your family, especially the ones you actually like. Uh, that's it. You guys have a great holiday.
0: Eat Hawaiian rolls. Talk to you guys soon.